Hey, everybody. Hi. Welcome to Movie Boners. It's like the best movie show ever. <laughs> We're a little biased, but yeah, I like it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, what beer are you drinking for today's episode, my good man? Ooh, I'm drinking a really tasty one. That's what I'm drinking. That's good. Last time was underwhelming. Yeah. No, I like this one. Dude, okay. <clears throat> so I got it because the title does actually kind of fit. But then as I was sitting down to get ready to record, yeah, it has a slogan that I was like, ooh, deep connection. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like so this. I'm drinking. Uh, it's from San Antonio uh, from Ranger Creek Brewing. It's Dog in the Hunt. Mm. So I thought, okay. oh, that's fitting. That's yeah. fitting. Hunting down but, things. But then I noticed right on the top there, it says, that's a good boy. I was <laughs> like, ooh. Yeah, that's a really good uh, <laughs> reference. Uh, that's amazing. That definitely makes up for last time, which wasn't really related at all. Yeah, like at all. <laughs> um, mine is less good than that, but I'm still going with it. Um, primarily because the color scheme fit uh fit the style of this film obviously um it's from like the joy well in the rain dude yeah exactly it's wellworks brewing company but it's one of their not weird ones it's called stratospheric symphony and it's a hazy ipa and uh it's very good for sure they make a non-weird beer yeah it's not like brownie mix or some other weird <laughs> coconut thing it's a normal Fucking brownie mix one. <laughs> Not peanut butter. That, and jelly. that was a real beer, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're crazy down there. Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. But it's a good one. It's a very good one. Yeah, if you good, like these IPAs, good. I would recommend for sure. What? And Stratospheric Symphony. I mean, that kind of seems like the vibe of this movie. We'll, we'll go with it, man. We'll go with <laughs> it. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, you know what time it is. It's time for the movie draft check-in. Hey, you know what time it is. Saddest <laughs> part of the show. <laughs> time for you to not give a crap <laughs> about what we're doing. So, yeah, you are losing still. Um, I just don't get it. Right there. <laughs> well, here's the thing. It got worse. We were so close, and now you're getting further away because... The Meg 2 is not good, and Haunted Mansion wasn't great either. So both of those recently yeah. released and brought your average down. Yeah. We are much closer in the box office, though. Um, despite Barbie crushing, you're still uh, getting closer, ever closer in the box office. So that's interesting, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, other notable things that have arisen recently. Well, Barbie crossed a billy. A billion dollars. Yes, it did. I don't know what you think, but there's rumor afoot that it may pass Super Mario Bros. as the highest grossing movie of the year, which is oh, sitting, at, sitting at sitting at one one point three um, billion. So it's okay. only three hundred million away, which is yeah. possible. I think it's uh, very doable for Barbie to pull that off. It's like the unexpected juggernaut of the box office. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, certainly. 
Um, and then Oppenheimer, no slouch though. One of the biggest, highest grossing R-rated movies of all time, which is crazy, especially being and a historical biographical drama, which isn't yeah. super popular. And it's uh, the highest grossing World War II era film. So yeah, passing Saving Private Ryan and yep. the other one. It <laughs> was really big. <laughs> which it, it's weird to call it a World War II film because it's not really about war, but I guess it's about. But it's. The I mean, all, it pertains all. directly to the war. Yeah, entirely. So it counts because of that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem is apparently mm -hmm. very good. I yeah. keep seeing buzz that it's up there with the Spider Verse animated movies. I haven't seen it, but I'm interested. I haven't in it. seen it yet either. And then, yeah, Meg Two sucks. Hannah Mansion sucks. Um, I'm interested in the Last Voyage of the Demeter, which just came out. There isn't an audience rating yet, so I'm not entirely sure, but that seems interesting. Okay. Yeah, I haven't and, seen uh, that one yet. And then I gave you a incorrect update last time, as I was realizing on my later stuff in the year was sorted wrong. Craven the Hunter was one of the movies that Sony moved out. Yeah. yeah. So it's Craven and Ghostbusters. Sony moved a bunch of stuff. So, but Aquaman know. managed to secure its spot. Yay! <laughs> At the end of the year, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know how big Craven will have been. I guess we'll find out next year. Um, but that's interesting. And then yeah, Blue Beetle comes out next uh, next week. Yep. Which will be interesting. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. I found myself up in the air. Like, I like the idea of that character having his own yeah. film. I like Blue Beetle. I got nothing against him, but I've never followed the character all that much. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird being a comic book fan and not being like super thrilled. Mm -hmm. It's also weird being a DC fan with one of the most like people are stoked that Blue Beetle's getting his own movie. Mm -hmm. And I find myself in a weird limbo of like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, certainly a strange one to get a solo movie out the gate. I yeah. would expect him to be more of a character that showed up in another main character movie. And then people are like, oh, I like him. And then he gets a solo and movie. And then he gets his own. Um, uh, so I don't know. It's a weird limbo where I don't know that audiences really know what the plan is and how much they should care or buy into any of these things. <laughs> oh, right. There's also still rumor about Wonder Woman three is being remade or getting, potentially getting made. Gal Gadot oh, says, and Gal Gadot then, said it is being made, but not with uh, Patty Jenkins, but mm -hmm. she will be a part of the, the new DCU. And I find myself just like, I can't help but shake my head. Cause I'm like, so this whole DC reboot, reboot uh -huh. was really just you being like, you know what, Ben Affleck? You know what, Henry Cavill? You <laughs> guys off. are just a little too intense. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, but we want to keep all the fun But we're going to keep. Yeah, we're keeping everybody else. like Except Cyborg. <laughs> except Cyborg, because Ray Fisher like called out everyone yeah. at WB. Mm -hmm. and Joss Whedon and <laughs> yeah yeah he seems to have become persona non grata over there which isn't yeah. uh, cool yeah. um yeah i 
I'm up in the air on Blue Beetle, which means mm-hmm. I'll probably go see it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what tends to happen. Yes, <laughs> I can't help it. I just can't help it. Yeah, I came really close to watching Flash this week. I have not watched it yet uh, since it came out. I saw a clip online, and I was like, "This has to be a joke. Like, this isn't really from the movie." Oh, and uh, I it's am hard to figure out which scene is. you're alluding to. Because I'm alluding to the scene with the babies. If there's, oh, a, yeah. if there's a scene with the babies, I was like, dear God, this can't be real. That's the opening of the movie. Fun. That'll be great. I can't wait to watch that. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I'm obligated as well. I've been putting it off, but I obviously have to watch it. That I think you're going to watch it and you're going to be like, it's got some really cool comic book moments. Mm-hmm. It's not as horrible as... I think it's kind of been made to feel since it flopped the absolute worst. Yeah. Um, but you will shake your head several times during that movie of being like, dear God, <laughs> the CGI, mm-hmm. like just when you think it can't get worse, they up the ante so much, but it was intentional. They said, oh, it's all dude. intentional. Uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no way. Jose. It It's almost like, they were trying to claim it'll be intentional because they just can't, they're rushing people to get the CGI done. But yeah, I really feel like they took the challenge of the baby from breaking Dawn is still claimed to be one of the absolute <laughs> worst pieces of CGI ever. Yeah. Let's take that as a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Let's use that as a template and then build a whole movie. And, around. And it. then we're going to do that, but we'll tell them it's on purpose. No, yeah. No, sir. No. That baby still haunts my dreams. <laughs> As it should. As it should. Uh, okay, so since I haven't watched The Flash, some things that I have watched that are new. I promised you last time I would finish Succession, and I have. Oh, okay. I finished season four of Succession. It was a good show. I didn't expect it to um, punch me in the feels so much in season four. Because it, oh, it did get me at a certain point, and uh, I wasn't really prepared for it, mostly because I didn't know I cared about these characters because they all suck. Um, <laughs> but it does, and the acting's really good. I wouldn't say it's one of the best shows of all time, but I do think it's very good and very enjoyable. Um, okay. Pretty easy to watch. So I would recommend if you are into that sort of thing. Cool, cool. Um, and then, obviously, I told you last time I was seeing Oppenheimer the day after we recorded last episode. Yeah, dude. I did see Oppenheimer. My life has been destroyed for the last week and a half, two weeks since I saw it. That movie, like, packs a punch, dude. Was I not kidding? Like, that is a lot to process. Yeah. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, That everything... I didn't get to see it in IMAX, but the theater we saw it in, I feel like the sound was really good and the loud scenes were just loud enough to be on the edge. And uh, we had heard rumors that maybe the, some of the dialogue wasn't very clear or anything, but I didn't have any issues with that. It sounded good on my end. Yeah. It sounded great to me. I think people would just want to nitpick it. Yeah. Cause it's and amazing. It, it, it's very well done. Very interesting. I didn't know much about the man going into it other than the obvious um, mm-hmm. inventing the atomic bomb, but I thought it was really interesting. Learned really interesting things. Um, 
yeah, I'm going to watch that movie a bunch more times for sure. Obviously <laughs> it's, it's uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it was, it was especially fun going into it, knowing that Christopher Nolan has said there's zero CGI in it. And so I felt like I just enjoyed the magic of the movie more than I normally do when I go into yeah. a movie. Cause there are shots with like just him imagining physics and lights dancing around in like space and stuff. And I'm like, how'd they do this? How'd they do this if it wasn't CGI? What, yeah, right. what, what movie magic did you pull off? Um, and so there were a lot of scenes where I was like, that's probably a model. That's probably, but it was much more fulfilling, I feel like, than a normal movie for oh, that reason yeah. alone. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. God, Oppenheimer was so good. <laughs> and oh. I couldn't remember what he said about the difference between the black and white scenes versus the color scenes. I looked it up after and it's yeah. the, the black and white are the more um, objective scenes from somebody else's perspective of his life. And then the, the color scenes are all subjective kind of of his own, um, his own perspective of his life. And so re knowing that will feed into the next time I watch it more, paying a little bit more attention to those changes, but it was, incredible obviously masterful and beautiful it was to me like <clears throat> the acting in oppenheimer from everybody yeah was on such a higher like everyone hit a new peak mm -hmm. in all their careers and they're all yeah. veterans they're all amazing they've proven themselves time and time again but i was like every scene to me was just holy shit yeah this is what it's like when everyone is on the same page bringing mm -hmm. the same dedication everything to it and it you can tell you can tell oh and killian murphy like right yeah. oh the yeah you just like uh how is killian murphy not a leading man in everything yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's slept on a lot. Um, I think this elevated him to a whole nother level. He's perfect in it. Yeah, he's so good. Not just. Well, I'm glad that you more. watched Oppenheimer. I was so excited when you texted me because <laughs> I knew immediately that you had just seen it. I think <laughs> I texted you, "Wow!" Period. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Yes, yes." <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good, dude. Oh, it's so God. good. Um, well, that, I did not watch I anything. Watched. I had family come and visit me for a week, so we spent time just doing family things, and so I did not really have time to watch new movies, but the weekend is coming up. I ain't got shit to do after <laughs> I get off work tomorrow, so there might be some movie watching. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good shit out. Yeah. I got to catch up. I've missed a couple that I got to get to. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. got to get those. Got to get them. Got to go see Barbie. <laughs> My daughter already saw it. So I'm like, <laughs> I guess I'll wait till it comes out. <laughs> I'm like, there's, there's a couple movies up more up my, my alley that I'm looking yeah. more forward to. So, That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's get into today's episode then. Yeah. Uh, I would say this is sort of a continuation from last week's episode. So if you're jumping in here and discovering us for whatever reason, uh, last episode we talked all about the original Blade Runner and then also a bunch of other stuff about real life and yeah. AI and the strikes and 
our general distrust of technology. <laughs> and then this episode is all about Blade Runner 2049, which is our first deep dive into a sequel, I think. I say this kind of thing a lot, and then you always correct me, but I think that's true. No, I think this one is true. I don't think we've done actual <laughs> sequels. We've done... Yeah, no, we've never done a, a sequel deep dive. Got one right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so, yeah, it's. I think it's very interesting, very exciting. Obviously, I love this movie. We're yeah. going to spoil a lot of it. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to do a similar thing as last time where we didn't really have a structure. We just kind of floated around. I uh, felt like that was... It was fun, I thought. That was fun. I, I enjoyed that kind of new structure. Um, and it. I think it kind of helped that we had a lot of... Yeah, other topics. Venting, uh, <laughs> trying to get some words of caution mm -hmm. and common sense and... Yeah, just be voices in the darkness to, hey, maybe don't do this. Don't um, fuck it up. So I, I think more of like that that kind of style. I, I had fun with that one. This is like, I mean, if we break it down like we normally do, the movie is already <laughs> almost three hours long. If we True. try to break it down like we used to or normally do, mm -hmm. I feel like we'll be here for a long time. <laughs> yeah, and I also do think that... Um, 2049 is a much deeper movie and bigger yep. movie than the original. Yep. The original, obviously based on the book, has has a lot of philosophical questions and comments and ideas that we definitely tackled last time. Unless you ask Ridley Scott and then he's like, hell no! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you can certainly boil it down to pretty simple things, uh, but I think just the basic story mm -hmm. is pretty simple. He kind of starts here. He does three or four significant things throughout the movie. And then, uh, and then everything else is just connected by atmosphere and world yeah. and feeling and music and all that stuff. It feels really good to watch, but there's not a ton that happens. Um, and the best or the most, most mind twisting, or I guess, most meaningful message is in the final monologue um, right. that, that uh, he gives. Whereas in 2049, I feel like the writing is so much more intentionally sprinkling those kinds of concepts and allegories and things throughout uh, that it can get pretty deep pretty fast. And so I do think kind of floating around to the different topics and themes and motifs and stuff would be a good idea. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I vote that. And it sounds okay. like we have unanimously voted two out of two. <laughs> yes, the motion is passed. Um, I don't have a gavel. I, <laughs> I So full disclosure, and you kind of brought it up at the end of last episode, I love Denis Villeneuve. I think that his films are, of, all, of the ones I've seen, I wouldn't say I've reached the level of super fandom yet where I've seen every one. I haven't seen Maelstrom. I haven't seen Incendies, I think. Some of his earlier foreign language stuff I haven't seen. Um, but all the other stuff, Sicario, uh, Prisoners, um, Enemy even, which is weird, but I don't really get it, but it's still like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of the dude. Um, like you, I think I've seen 
all of his stuff minus his early foreign language mm -hmm. films. Um, I still haven't forgiven him for prisoners yet. Still haven't gotten <laughs> over that movie. Uh, Just dude, deeply affecting you forever. It popped up on my fucking Netflix. This was a little while back. It popped up on my Netflix movies for you. It was mm -hmm. like the first one that showed up. And I was like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me, people? Like, no, no. Yeah. Remove from my I algorithm, thought, please. <laughs> right. And then I thought, it's been years yeah. since I've watched Prisoners. And I was like, maybe I try it again. Maybe we get through it. I'm sure mm -hmm. I'll be able to handle it. Just considering some of the content you and I have watched. <sighs> yeah. Since then, I can't be worse. This year. <laughs> um, right. And I was like, I think I'd be able to be just fine during it. I like selected it, brought it up. And you know mm -hmm. how like, it'll give you a screenshot or whatever sometimes. And instantly I was like, mm -hmm. Nope, Nope, we're not doing it. <laughs> nope. Nope. Because that movie hits so deep to me that it's like, Man, I yeah. just don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's a great film, but mm -hmm. I haven't, I can't get over that one yet. Yeah, um, one and done so far. Whew. It's interesting. Um, apparently, Denis Villeneuve really liked Ryan Gosling for the part of Detective Loki in that movie. Yeah. And like really liked him. Like he almost had it, but then Jake Gyllenhaal kind of scooped it by inventing the whole backstory and the tattoos and the ticks and everything um he brought all that to the character which really cemented him in that but then that's why ryan gosling was kind of in the front of his mind for blade run 2049 which yeah. is a similar deeply affected detective character um at which he's perfect for he's incredible in this movie i it's so funny you and i have joked and just said several times of like we're ryan gosling fans shit yeah. Like Barbie is like, we were very tempted to watch Barbie just on the basis of he was in it. Right. Uh, and when I was watching 2049 again, I was trying to think like, have I ever watched a performance of Ryan Gosling that I just did not care for? And I wanted so badly to be like, no, nah, he's great in everything. But then I remembered that stupid fucking Netflix movie that came out this year with him and Chris Evans. Oh. The, great the Russo man. brothers. And yeah. I was like, nope. He almost had a great track record, but that movie and everyone in it just, it's poor. <laughs> Fuck that movie. Uh, yeah, that's what I heard. I heard that it sucks big time. I don't even remember what it was called. The Gray Man, I think. Sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he was young Hercules back when he was a kid and yeah, uh, just crushed it forever. I feel like he's underrated because he's so handsome that people don't uh, give him the props they deserve. But his range from the ability to be so funny and then so moving and ro romantic and emotional yeah. and then serious and dramatic and sad, like he has all, he has it all. He does. And he's handsome as hell. <laughs> Just going to throw it out there. Several times. <laughs> I'm just making sure you heard me. I, <laughs> But yeah, if it wasn't for Gray Man, I'm like, dude, Goslin is just, he's so good in everything mm -hmm. he does. And he is perfect for the role of uh, Detective K. Yeah. Like, the look of him. Mm -hmm. for Okay. 
the thing that I like remember he was constructed in a lab because he's so handsome. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna go all over the place, people, but you're over it. Yeah. So don't worry, it all comes back ish. Uh <laughs> one of the things that I remember really striking me the first time we saw it, which we went and saw it in the theater. I believe you. Um <laughs> <laughs> I forget a lot of things. (laughs) I believe you. I remember watching it in the theater. Yeah. I don't remember who was there. Because then you, Christy, and I, we went to, I think we meant to go for sushi, but we ended up at a seafood place instead that was like, or it was the place we bailed on. No. This doesn't matter to anybody. It doesn't matter at all. (laughs) Anyways, I just remember we went and saw the movie and then we went and ate. Mm-hmm. And talked about the movie. And I remember Christy telling us, like, she didn't, I don't even know if she ever saw the first one. No, and certainly not. Was never. I think like, I tried to get her to, and then we started it. She's like, no, immediately, no, I'm not watching this. <laughs> and, and I remember her, like, not being a big sci fi, like, it just doesn't do a, it's It's just not her cup of tea. Mm-hmm. But I remember the three of us were just, like, awestruck by this movie. Yeah. And one of the things that I I know all three of us continuously talked about was the cinematography and the scope of the film. Just everything about it was like, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. Rewatching it, and I thought this every time, but it hit this time just in preparation for this. Ryan Gosling, his look is so perfect to the world around him that he like, they do this cool thing Mm -hmm. with him where he blends in so well, but at the same time, he's like in the forefront, you know, he's, he's still kind of focus on him. Yeah. He makes sense in this world. It's not one of those like, Oh, I'm just going to accept that this is what it is. Like he completely makes sense for this, alternate universe version of los angeles yeah i just oh my god i couldn't get over it there's that shot of him in like the street it's kind of early in the film it's that everything's at night in the movie yeah of course (laughs) and it rains the entire movie except for the ending um but it's like one of the cars drives by and he's just standing there in the road and like the lights from the buildings just barely like graze across Mm -hmm. him and it is one of those things i instantly thought like I should make that my screensaver on something because it just looks so incredible. And it's just yeah. a dude standing in a street in the rain at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there are. I feel like every five minutes, there's a shot where you're like, wow, that is beautiful. And I just want to pause it and enjoy it. <laughs> right. You're just like, can we just hold this for just a like five more seconds or yeah. eight more seconds? Which, to those that might not really think about it, five or eight seconds of nothing happening on screen except for just a shot, Mm -hmm. that's forever. Yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And most film editors will just cut that stuff down. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, this this movie needs it. Did you hear it was apparently a four hour film originally? Oh, I believe it. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. With just the scope and scale of everything. You could easily add all that. Which I was like, man, I would totally take a four-hour cut of this movie, maybe mm-hmm. see more with Wallace and his quote-unquote angels or like... Yeah. 
Well, there's also the, I mentioned last time, and I don't know if you watched it, probably not because you said you weren't going to. There's the little shorts that they released in conjunction yeah. with it. Um, did you watch any of those? I didn't. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you a little rundown so that, because the, there's a couple that are very short, like five minutes. Yeah. Um, so there's the Blackout 2022 anime, which I did watch. It's like 16 minutes. I don't generally care for anime, but the art style in it, it has a, a more good art moments than a not good art moments. Uh, and it basically tells the backstory that they allude to here, where in 2022, there was a, um, I think the opening crawl mentions it as just like some violent rebellions that happened, mm -hmm. but it gives more backstory to that in the sense that it describes replicants actually um, basically bombed, commandeered a nuclear missile, bombed a city, and then also attacked and destroyed a bunch of data centers, dropped an EMP, I think is what it was, and yeah. cut out the power, all the stuff, destroyed all the data uh, for everything, including like records of who's who and what's what and what who are replicants and who are not and all that stuff in the hopes of basically gaining their freedom. And there was a, because there was a human supremacy movement um, which I think based on our conversation last time that you would probably fall into that uh, human beings are human beings and replicants are not, and uh, <laughs> they can never be people. I think so. And so there, which is a weird conversation, but I think is a big part of this movie. Uh, and so that was the whole thing in 2022. There was a big, I guess, fight between them. And that feeds into a lot of uh, Kay's boss's motivation. Um, in this movie. So that's the first one, 2022. It's like 16 minutes long, not hard to watch. Yeah. Um, and the other ones are five minutes. So there's a 2036 Nexus Dawn, which is all about Wallace and Jared Leto's character. It's him basically meeting with a board of people trying to convince them because the replicants have been prohibited. The prohibition has entered and he's basically acquired Tyrell and wants to start Nexus production. And so he's basically describing his plan for his angels that there were bad ones before, but his are good and mm -hmm. they follow all of the rules and commands completely and all this stuff. Um, he's perfected it. And so it's, it feels like basically a deleted scene from the movie. Okay. It could have easily just been a scene that was cut from that four hour <laughs> cut of the movie. <laughs> and then uh, the last one is Blade Runner 2048, uh, nowhere to run. That's a year before the movie came out or the year before the movie is set. And that's all around Sapper, Dave Batista's character. Um, yeah. Where he basically like goes to the market and meets with the kid and is a nice, cute man with tiny little glasses. Um, and then he fucks up a bunch of dudes when he <laughs> loses his, uh, loses his cool. So you get a, a hint at his gentle, but also violent nature, which is a big deal. And that also feels basically like a deleted scene. Okay. And it's also, I think like five minutes. Mm -hmm. So they don't they don't do a lot, but I do think they kind of round out the world that they're setting up in this movie. Yeah, I didn't watch them, but I read what they were um, yeah. as I was kind of reading backstory or like, you know, all the fun little tidbits about this one. Um, and they all sound very like I really liked how it broke it down to kind of like if you need that connection, here's that connection just to give mm -hmm. you an understanding of the world of 2049. Um, 
But I also kind of like feel you don't need no. those. 2049, although is a direct sequel to the first one, mm-hmm. uh, it ties in. But the movie to me, it's weird to say this because like the whole last half hour of the movie definitely rides on the story of the original. Like it, yeah. And on Harrison Ford. But the movie as a whole, I'm like, dude, you almost mm-hmm. don't need the first Blade Runner at all to have yeah. any context, to have any <laughs> anything. Like you understand yeah. this movie really well. <laughs> yeah. It would not be hard to rewrite a couple of things and have all of it still work. Have the whole yeah. world, the meanings, the themes and and the mystery and the all of the, the whole detective story just be about someone else that was a pregnant replicant instead of Rachel. Spoiler alert for uh, Blade Runner 2049. But yeah, that easily could have been just a standalone movie and just as engaging, just as incredible. Oh yeah. It's super engaging when I, cause I was, I found like people complained about the pacing of it, even though it's rated really high on like mm-hmm. every list. Um, uh, even Ridley Scott was like, oh, it's like a half hour too long. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, yeah. it's not. <laughs> Ridley Scott's funny to me. Like, I really like all, all, almost all of his movies. Like, I'm a Ridley Scott fan. But he just came out in the last week and he's like, yeah, man, I should have really directed Blade Runner 2 2049 instead of uh, Covenant, Alien, Alien Covenant. Covenant. Yeah. And I was like, I like you really, but I'm pretty confident it would be a worse movie than it is because I feel like it's a perfect movie as it is. I was going to say the same thing and I was going to be like, don't at me, but (laughs) I feel had Scott been the one to direct 2049, I don't think it would be anywhere near Mm -hmm. what it was. And no offense, Ridley. Yeah. Not that you're ever going to listen to me, but (laughs) send this to Ridley Scott, please. But I'm like, even though Alien Covenant is entertaining to me and I I like it, Mm -hmm. it's got some cool moments in it, it's still pretty much on par with like Alien Resurrection where you're like, Mm. yeah, it's all right. It's cool. It's got some cool like moments, but it's so unnecessary. (laughs) 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 And, And then I started thinking like, all right. What else have you done, Ridley, that I thought, uh, that just wasn't. And the one that just glares in my mind is that Robin Hood movie he made with Russell yeah. Crowe. And I'm like, Ridley, <laughs> you've been on kind of a like decline. Yeah. And I can't help to feel, because I've been thinking about this this week after I found out about like his comments about I should have been the one to direct it, like yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just thought like, I think what may have ended up happening had Scott directed it, it would have just been another movie that took a great idea, mm-hmm. great, you know, a great franchise or whatever. Not that Blade Runner is like an actual franchise, but yeah. you know what I mean. Um, and just got so caught up in Easter eggs and member berries and then completely mm-hmm. fucked the whole thing up. Cause I feel like he would have fucked the whole thing up 
yeah. he would have pulled a Spielberg with Indy four. He would have pulled mm-hmm. a JJ Abrams. No offense, JJ, but with like a George Lucas with all of his movies, a George Lucas with everything he's done since A New Hope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you guys really want to go back to uh, that reference or that comment, you gotta listen to our Star Wars episode where we tell you that Star Wars is like the most unoriginal franchise ever. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talking about a completely different science fiction different thing. sci-fi but i i really thought about that and i was like I, i'm not saying scott's a bad director i'm a big mm-hmm. fan of his i've enjoyed way more of his movies than i've disliked his movies yeah and, and I, I think i'll probably always be a fan but i was just like i think you would have gotten caught up in the mm-hmm. whole Ooh, Ridley Scott's coming back to direct this because that's what happened with Covenant. Yeah. There was such a huge, like, Ridley Scott's directing alien stuff again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then everyone saw it and was like, it's okay. All right. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, I did some agree. cool things. There's some cool violence and gory moments in it. That's all right. Mm-hmm. But all right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a time and a place certainly for someone else to take over and and breathe new life into it. Mm-hmm. And especially if you grasped what it could be, like if you saw a seed of an idea or something and you want to take that, keep everything that worked in the original and build on it. That's what I feel like Denis Villeneuve did with this mm-hmm. because it has has all the same questions and things but if you left the original blade runner feeling like i have i have an opinion about if replicants are people or not then you go into 2049 and it kind of takes it to the next level of okay replicants might be people but are holographic girlfriends people <laughs> like it starts <laughs> asking you even bigger questions it asks a lot of questions and I feel like I should have expected you to take a shot at me pretty early uh, just because (laughs) of how vocal I was during the last episode of being anti-AI and Mm -hmm. we need to quit relying on all this shit, right? Uh, And replicants are not human. Uh, I got pretty pretty vocal about it. I was a little passionate about it. Um, Fuck AI. That's not changing. (laughs) Fuck it. Always. But 2049 is a challenging film for people like me or for like us mm-hmm. who understand the dangers of AI, who don't want to kind of give in to the idea that a replicant, this like fake entity yeah, could be human, could feel human. Cause we've always said what, like, why we need humans in the cockpits or behind the wheel because you can't trust a machine to make an emotional decision or whatnot. Right. 2049 completely challenges everything about it because the only humans you see in the movie are very few people. Yeah. Very few. And they're all kind of not really the best great. examples of us. Yeah. They're yeah. not moral or kind or loving or any of those good things. Right. And then everybody else that you encounter in the movie, with the exception of a few, because there's still bad apples everywhere. Yeah. Um, 
are showing way more human emotions and elements. And they even talk about being more human than humans. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just because it had been a minute since I watched 2049, but rewatching it, I was like, these fucking people <laughs> had to make me like look like a fool. Like a <laughs> fool. <laughs> yeah, it had been a while since I'd seen it as well. And so it was really fun to go back and experience it kind of for the first time again. Because I remembered the high points, but didn't remember all the details. Yeah. And no, I feel the same way, basically. Um I mean, I don't, I don't know the answers, but I enjoy the questions. And I also had interesting, I guess, new thoughts on the topic. Because when I think of Blade Runner and replicants, I've always thought of like, like, like robots, like androids mm -hmm. that are manufactured to be human-like, um, but inside they're all synthetic and metal and plastic and all that shit. But as I was watching 2049, there's a lot of times, and maybe it's the difference between Nexus 6 ver versions and the Nexus 8s uh, in this movie, uh, 8s and 9s, I think, where I wonder if they're not so much robots, but more like clones, not like direct clones of a mm -hmm. specific person, but like a, a bioengineered creature. That so is basically kind of human, humanoid, human cells, human. Because the thing that triggered it was jumping to the end of the movie. Um, and I guess the beginning of the movie also. But when Kay is strangling and drowning, yeah. love, I was like, that seems like a design flaw that she even needs oxygen. Like, if you're going to send these replicants to colonize space, why do they need to breathe? That seems mm -hmm. unnecessary. And then when he fights Sapper and he hits him in the throat and that's what makes him be able to overcome a much larger dude, um, I'm like, he has all of the biological faculties and organs and sensitivities that a person does. And so if Wallace genetically engineered replicant Nexus Nines as more like human clones they're not born out of a person they're not made the old-fashioned way yeah. but they're still physiologically human basically is that more of a person than a robot would be yeah uh that's exactly what wallace does um he does it with spoiler uh rachel's bones um mm. and rachel Mm -hmm. And to me, like, because I thought that too, the fight with uh, Sapper, I was like, this feels, I mean, they're bleeding, they're getting bruised, they're getting broken. Mm -hmm. It's a brutal fight mm -hmm. uh, between these two guys. They just, everything's heightened for them. You know, they got a little heightened strength to them because yeah. they're not, they're not human. They're going to be engineered for off world combat. So they're going to mm -hmm. have a little, a little juice going <laughs> through them. Right. Um, but rewatching it this time, and when Rachel shows up after he's holding the skull and stuff, and he's saying like, "Hey, we took the DNA, the whatever," and mm. it, to me, it was like, oh. <laughs> uh, same page as you, Jake, where it was like, so there's never actually been a robotic, yeah, 
feature to these these replicants, except for probably like the very first couple generations of replicant mm-hmm. before Blade Runner, the original, even kicks off. Yeah. And I definitely started thinking like, so they've definitely been kicking in the how do we continuously mask the synthetic version with mm. all the human element the idea i mean they bring it up several times it's mentioned numerous times of like or at least the theme is of them blending in so well to humans that no one's ever going to be able to tell the difference period yeah. um you know more human than human with learning everything their self-awareness is on a whole nother scale mm-hmm. it it kind of made me think of on top of the the clone in some form of DNA, uh, and then with the idea of how they're implanting memories into a replicant, you know, from the original Blade Runner and in this one, yeah, uh, it's that kind of principle, but on a whole nother scale of like now we're just implanting nerves, we're implanting yeah. the circulatory system almost. You know, you're gonna bleed, you can die from physical trauma yeah and yeah. Uh, the the time frame is lifted so they can live a full life they yeah. all seem to be quote-unquote born as adults like you get manufactured and shipped off as an as a full-grown person that's why they implant the early life memories so that you are relatively normal and not a total mm-hmm. freak but yeah that seems to be uh, seems to be the idea which to me is uh, just another frightening <laughs> thought. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, cloning has always been kind of a, a hot topic. I remember back in the 90s when it was a big deal that they cloned, I think it was a sheep. Yeah, um, that was a big deal. And then like every now and again, you'll get a new like, hey, we tried cloning this. Hey, we cloned this. How crazy is that? Hey, we like replicated an ear we grew an ear out of nothing you're like cool but wait (laughs) yeah yeah in 2049 they'll be able to grow an entire person yeah it's with their own intelligence and personality and logic and stuff even when the first scene that you meet love in she's talking to a buyer essentially mm-hmm. and she's like we can make them as human as you want we can give them empathy we can give them like care and all of these other things but i don't recommend it unless you want like a pleasure model or something uh, right and uh yeah so see that definitely seems like they can tweak every aspect of their personality at a genetic level which has been a frightening thought to me since i was a kid and i first watched the movie gattaca which is all about that of mm-hmm. Uh, selecting genes in a unborn in, in a fetus, like yeah. as the baby is in the womb, uh, going in and selecting, taking out, putting in certain genes, certain you're controlling the path, the, the life path of the, of the kid before they ever have a chance to even be the person they want to be. Um, and of course, when, when my kid was being, uh, baked in the oven if you will oh that sounds horrible when you say that i tried to be clever. yeah you shouldn't put children in the oven no 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 hey man <laughs> in the flash he puts a baby in a microwave and people thought it was cute so i can't believe i'm gonna watch that movie someday. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know like 
when my ex was pregnant, <laughs> we were directly asked by the doctors, like, do you want to be able to select? Like, mm-hmm. you can pick, you know, these little things. We can go in and figure Various out tests. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, this can't be real. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that was my feeling as well. When they're like, we can test for Down syndrome. We can test for all these things. When it is like, I don't know, three months old in the womb. And I was like, what am I going to do with that information? Like, we're obviously still going to have the baby and we are going to love it. There's nothing wrong with having Down syndrome. So I don't know why we need to go that far as a society. It just, it freaked me out. And then, uh, it's been a while since I've been challenged with that kind of thought process. And then I rewatched 2049 this week and was like everything that I was pretty passionate about on that last episode and have been throughout your life kind of the last 14 years. <laughs> uh, it really came back and I was like, I, I understand what they're doing. And now that I have an understanding that these replicants aren't robots, yeah. Like you see in like Alien, the first mm-hmm. Alien. Um, these guys, these replicants don't bleed milk. They don't mm-hmm. spit up, you know, all this like weird white liquid shit. And they don't have yeah. tubes that flail. <laughs> and they don't sound robotic as they start to die. Mm-hmm. Except for pre Pris. Pris in the first one. Yeah. She gets shot. She kind of like Freaks spasms out. out. She short circuits yeah. just a little bit. Um, maybe it was just that model. <laughs> it, it had a tweak in it. Um, yeah. But these these replicants bleed blood. They can die. You assume of old age. They're probably never going to actually get sick, but they can die of old age. Or mm-hmm. if the body is just beat too much, it's going to expire. Yeah. Um, it, it's challenging to me because it it went from is AI. Am I so anti AI, which I am? But then it was like, well, what about a clone? Because it's still a human element. It's filled with human memories. It's filled with all these human mm-hmm. things. What's my thought on that? And I was, I can't come up with with a good opinion. I feel yeah. on on the clones or on the replicants that you learn what they actually are. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sucks because I sympathize with Kay throughout the film. I want him to succeed, especially as he starts freaking out over his potential truth. Yeah. What's going on with that wooden horse. Um, and with Deckard, when he shows up, it's very like, oh, God, they just had to go with this element. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's very much looking for connection, whether it's with Joy or whether with... Mm-hmm some lost father figure he never had or never knew he had um, the potential for one. It's all very meaningful. And I think right back to Ryan Gosling's performance of him, he's so stoic and flat for most of it, but you can also still tell there's something under the surface that he's not quite wanting to let out. Excuse me. Well, he does such a great, to me, like, the first 10, 15 minutes of the film, mm-hmm. he's very, you know, flat. 
he's very just like there he's dead behind the eyes well not dead but he's just there's nothing there he he lacks the empathy um but as he's in his own home mm-hmm. and, and then as the story starts to unfold with him finding the box under the tree or shit even 30 seconds before the box where he sees the flower yeah and it's like something can actually like there's there's life coming from this dead area where mm-hmm. it shouldn't be growing um i think from that moment throughout the rest of the film every shot of his face is he's constantly thinking he's mm-hmm. no longer just like a mindless blade runner he's thinking about consequences he's thinking about yeah. you know the potential danger he's about mm-hmm. to accidentally get himself into so it's mm-hmm. it's a yeah, very there's... challenging movie on so many like how what what do you actually think about these ideas <laughs> and it's like ah. mm-hmm. yeah that's one of the things i love the most is that you can definitely see him thinking as a character not yeah. just because he does a really good job as a detective and He notices details about Sapper's bag. He notices the flower. He notices all these different things. And he's in in the the bones and all that stuff. He notices a lot. He's a very good detective. So you know that he's always thinking about things. And that's kind of... There's a lot of tension in the movie, I think, because... And it builds on the tension of the first movie, which is if this thing, if this creature is constantly thinking, constantly experiencing things, constantly um, learning. It's just a matter of time before they come to the conclusion or the emotion of that they're not supposed to. That's yeah. It's still a world where they're genetically engineered to lack emotion and empathy, and they go through the Voight-Kampff test, which is like a new upgraded version, which is the very exciting and very tense. Uh, <laughs> But that's the thing is that he's he needs to stay dead behind the eyes, needs to stay dead to the world. But then you can tell you can tell early on, even though he has to retire a sapper in his house, he then goes home and kind of relaxes and you meet joy. And it seems like the only reason for him to have bought joy and formed this relationship with this holographic AI girlfriend program is because of some emotional connection or need that he's kind of growing or harvesting mm-hmm. or trying to find. And it, it seems like he doesn't fully, doesn't fully realize it until the point where, uh, where it's in the rain and he sees the advertisement and he kind of was like, she's not real. She's not <laughs> right. She's a product that is just being advertised for everybody. But so I can't connect with it in the way that I hoped to. I think yeah. that's the moment he turns. Joy is uh joy is an interesting part of the movie. I guess technically she's a character in the film. Yeah. Um, but she's very interesting to me because I almost feel like Kay is using joy to almost force himself to learn a deep 
empathy to learn kind of grief and loneliness actually. Yeah. Just to maybe understand his surroundings a little bit more of what, what different things, what different elements in life might be motivation for someone mm-hmm. to do what they do. Um, and at the same time, I think his job, you think? Yeah. And I think just over time he, and I could be completely wrong. I'm kind of make, like I made up this kind of backstory just for myself. Cause that's, that's the way it felt to me. Yeah. That she was probably something just as a, a, a learning device, a tool yeah. that he grew attached to and then developed like, I don't want to say actual feelings to her. I don't, I don't think he ever actually feels romantic feelings for joy, Mm -hmm. but I think he definitely has that connection to her where she kind of serves just like an outside voice for him, a voice of reason almost, Mm -hmm. which is not supposed to be a synthetic thing. They're not supposed to have an extra, (laughs) you know, inner thought or inner, a second voice. Yeah. It's but. interesting. She kind of ends up being a, the, an angel on his shoulder in a way when she <laughs> yeah. like, she'll pop up when he's looking through microscopes at work and stuff and start kind of leading him on as far as, Oh, what if it's this? What if it means this and all this stuff? And so he starts to hope for things that he hadn't probably wouldn't have without her input. Well, she kind of like the movie does a good job of, creating it kind of as one of the most awkward sweet scenes ever. <laughs> um, it's so weird to say that because it's like the most awkward three-way I think has ever been shown <laughs> on, on screen. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's frightening in the same sense to me because she's this completely self-aware actual AI. She mm-hmm. is a hologram. AI program mm-hmm. that he carries around in his pocket, or if she's not attached to that, uh, I forget what they call it, but that emulator. like one, yeah, emulator, then she's on like this crazy looking grid thing that yeah. keeps her in one room. Yeah. Um, but she like creates an experience for K so that he can feel something physical, they can experience something form of romance if you will yeah. she wants him to experience these things and first time watching it you're like awkward but this is sweet like mm-hmm. Kate deserves something Rewatching, I'm like this is frightening because <laughs> this is like to me just more downloading an algorithm for him how how do we keep him baseline and that's not mm. what Joy's doing but in my mind I was like yeah that's probably exactly what this joy hologram is probably for to keep. Oh, she's connected to the grid. She's uploading his data. Absolutely. I was like, like, Joy's the fucking (laughs) alternate universe, 2049, Mm -hmm. uh, TikTok or what other, any social media really. Alexa, who's listening to all your shit and sending it to Amazon. Make sure you stay in line. Yeah. Uh, And the fact that, his joy has kind of rebelled against that in a sense to give him some physical mm-hmm. like feelings and uh, 
kind of helping him and she even tells him like i love you and you're like oh and you're at the same time i'm thinking no ai is not (laughs) supposed to develop love what the fuck (laughs) yeah yeah it's you i mean you get involved it's like the movie her you you are lonely enough at a certain point that you're listening to this person who's saying all the right things and seems Mm -hmm. to be sincere and all this stuff and it definitely feels real enough and as often happens even in normal human relationships you start to want it to be true and so you ignore all the red flags kind of thing um i think that she i don't think that she intentionally leads him on but i think it's as easy to lead him on as a as a dude who's kind of looking for something looking for connection kind of lonely basically at, at home and then you have this beautiful, nice, sweet version of a of a program that yeah. is taking care of him. It's interesting to see kind of the difference between his joy and the mass marketed joy, yeah. because you see her and she's like the first scene. She's very Beaver Cleaver shows up, makes him dinner, lights his cigarette, and she's very sweet. And then he goes out in public, and she's like dancing in a miniskirt and like, hey, look how sexy I am. (laughs) Obviously advertising to like, there are other dudes who are much pervier out there who are also buying the same girl. So I think that's probably also what kind of turns him off. It's like, this just isn't real. (laughs) This this world sucks. Like that's how I take that look that he gives when uh, the mass market version Mm -hmm. calls him out and leans in with those fucking dead blue eyes and you're yeah. like Anna de Armas is way prettier but her with those blue eyes is like this is yeah it, you know They're what like, it reminded me there's of? like no pupil it's just fully it's just full fake. blue and you know what yeah. it reminded me of fucking other mother from Coraline yeah those it's those like terrifying button eyes I mm-hmm. was like evil pure fucking <laughs> evil yeah My, it's a warning sign my opinions are validated. AI is evil. <laughs> I think it's an interesting thing, though, because, like I said before, it it builds on the conversation of can can she be real? Can she be real enough yeah. to warrant being considered her own person? If she's self aware, she knows she's an AI. She knows she's trapped in that room with that device. I think the movie does such a good job of showing you. I guess getting you to buy into the concept of what you're seeing and then also getting you to completely forgive the stuff that doesn't make sense because you have bought in already. Because <laughs> when you first see her and it shows the thing on the ceiling and it shows her come in as like a hologram, she's lit up, she's doing, she's interacting with the world, but not really able to interact with the world. Yeah. You totally understand what she is and what she's doing. But then she also like, she lights his cigarette and that's like, a way of interacting without actually interacting, um, which is a cool, like a tiny little detail. Like that machine has a laser that can fire down and actually create enough heat to light your cigarette. That's pretty cool. But then it, by the time that you're like, okay, I've bought in. I really like gay. I really like joy. I'm totally bought in. Then it's like, here's this emanator device that makes no goddamn sense that we just magically will say it can create a hologram anywhere out of anything out of, or out of nothing, basically. Well, There's it, nothing it's like projecting a, yeah. this image. 
she just can appear randomly and go anywhere she wants. It's like a USB device that you don't ever have to plug in, but it will always project whatever it contains. Yeah, it's yeah, very weird, but you totally are just like, I accept this reality, and it's a terrible <laughs> reality. <laughs> yeah, but it, it moves the story forward. It definitely is a device that serves the story so that she can appear in other places besides the apartment. Um, but you totally, you're like, I'm fine with this. That makes total sense to me when you're watching the movie. <laughs> well, it fits it fits the world. It fits the technology um, yeah. that you've already seen in, in this alternate universe, uh, which I was so glad because you and I had talked about it in the last episode, you know, because it takes place in 2019. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember telling you, like, I think movies that date their films, they need to kind of, there needs to be an understanding that it's an alternate universe, mm -hmm. alternate world or whatever timeline and this one uh denis bienvenue flat out said i think that's how do you say his name Close enough. i'm never fucking getting it villeneuve ever. what i don't villain denis villeneuve i don't know that i'm saying See, it right. now you're getting it fucking weird too <laughs> i know it's not Villeneuve or whatever you said i don't know what i said um but he did flat out say like it's total alternate universe. Like, <laughs> and I was so happy that he said that because mm -hmm. I buy the movie even more. I buy yeah. this world even more. I can invest in it. Uh, and I love the kind of sci-fi that has some stuff that's super advanced and then some stuff that's also kind of old and, and yeah. weird looking. I feel like that's harder to actually figure out where it falls in the timeline or or that it's in an alternate universe and they just kind of developed differently than we did. Dude, I love the the farm that Batista's character has at the beginning yeah. where he's like he's farming these uh like slug uh kind of creatures. They're yeah, he bugs. calls it a calls it a protein farm, which is a much nicer mm -hmm. way to say we're <laughs> basically starving on earth and need to eat bugs for protein. Right. Which is something that you don't see a lot in this one. You don't see too much outside world like you do in uh, the first one where, you know, the first time you meet Deckard, he's eating those noodles mm -hmm. and the world just seems bleak and overpopulated. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this one, you, you don't really see a lot of that, but I think that adds to the tension of the world of not seeing a whole lot of other humans or humans mm -hmm. in general. You're not seeing the entire picture. It kind of adds like, what is the rest of this world? Like, yeah. How bleak is the rest of the world? Because it looks pretty terrible. <laughs> Grand yeah. in scale when he's going around, mm -hmm. but they've got a crazy ass wall that separates Los Angeles from the ocean completely. There's like... Mm -hmm. It's almost like a dam, but it's not. It's yeah, like the oceans have been rising or something. It, yeah, it's what a bleak world. It's huge, mm -hmm. but none of it is like fun, yeah, or beautiful to look at. No. It's just it's dark. all terribly depressing, and everybody is just <laughs> seeking, seeking escape, seeking yeah, some sort of pleasure or respite from the real world, which just sucks. And you're like, man, just how bleak can this world get? And then you go into Vegas 
and you're <laughs> like, dear God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's parts of the world that are completely abandoned. It's <laughs> just devoid. But like you were saying, where you see, like, I guess it's technically technology, but it's not. Uh, when he sees the beehive, mm -hmm. the man-made beehives, in the middle of this just desolate world, everything is just dead and gone. Yeah, in the desert. There's something so striking about that to me, of just seeing the beehive alone in this like super dusty just orange mm. yellow world and then you see this life and you're like this is it looks so out of place but it's almost almost hopeful mm -hmm. that it's there yeah no i think that's the perfect description of it it is very out of place because you're like bees kind of need flowers and shit to actually pollinate and do stuff with and you're in the middle of the desert where none of that exists but it is also hopeful because you're like there's life here there's there's animals there's people using these animals for honey and food and stuff so as you're like this is a good thing this is a life thing yeah and for those not paying attention the beehive is kind of a, a connection to Batista's character of like or an added connection to him because you assume or you're supposed to assume that his character helped, mm -hmm. you know, farm these bees and get this beehive sustainable to the point where it needs to be yeah. and uh, to help Deckard out. Yeah. Uh, he was a friend and, and supporter. And I guess, yeah, just friend of Deckard and Rachel that yeah. they stayed with him. They, you know, they were definitely friends. It seems like, which I like that little connection. It it took me a while to make it. Mm -hmm. And then when I did, it was kind of like a, oh, man. What a, <laughs> I love it when a movie is smart enough to be able to like set up something mm -hmm. and connect to it later on through something that you just like, you would never think of right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, that's just, that's good. That's a clever yeah. moment. There's a lot of times in movies where you're watching it and you're like, okay, I, I, I buy into it just so that I understand where the movie goes from here. Yeah. But I'm not going to think about it too hard. And then if you do think about it too hard, it kind of falls apart. I love those movies where the more you think about it, you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly why this person <laughs> would do this and this person would do that and because this relationship exists. And I have that with, with the horse in this movie, with the mm -hmm. little the little horse and and Kay having it in his memories and him one really wanting it to be connected to that, but really it's connected to Deckard and his memory of the unicorn from the original yeah. movie and all the stuff. I'm like, dear God, that makes so much sense. I love this movie. <laughs> it's, well, and that's something that also kind of makes Kay unique in this world. The fact that he's everyone knows and understands like Blade Runners are replicants now. But, yeah. Um, but he focuses on that memory. Mm -hmm. He actually like, like we would, Yeah, you know, whether it's a traumatic memory or a good memory, we have moments, people have moments where we'll focus on a memory or it'll flash in our head mm -hmm. and then it just stays with us. Um, and the fact that Kay has that, where it's this this memory of the bullying and him putting the horse in the um, 
fire oh, in the furnace. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I just, I think that's such a, that was a, one of the big elements in this movie that really made me kind of feel challenged by it because I was like, man, I, I am notorious about mm-hmm. latching onto a memory, especially like a bad memory mm-hmm. and just letting it beat me up, which I think is pretty common probably. Yeah. But it made me kind of like relate to Kay as I'm watching this synthetic human <laughs> who I'm already like supposed to morally be against. And now I'm like, fuck, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dealing with the same struggles and <laughs> yeah. emotions that you're familiar with. Absolutely. Uh, but I love Kay's journey through this movie. I think the, the investigation where it takes mm-hmm. him, the different characters that he meets. Um, yeah. The it, investigation so cool. is like my favorite part because his, the mystery of the movie and the mystery of his in detectiveness is very well done i feel like that you you care about him and you really understand his hope that he starts learning about this replicant that got pregnant and gave birth and they don't really know where the baby is and he is a tumultuous or un really unsure undocumented past so there's a question that the movie poses or a possibility that the baby is him and that he was Mm -hmm. actually born and and he talks about well it's 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 i've never retired a replicant who was born before and if you were born maybe you have a soul maybe you're different or special or something (laughs) and so you can tell that he kind of wants that to be true wants that to be him and and there's connections i mean he's a detective he doesn't just assume anything out of the blue there's evidence to start believing that possibility yeah when he's going through the different um slides of dna from like mm -hmm. 30 years prior or code Mm -hmm. uh it to me it was another like kind of reminder the movie does a great job of reminding you that they are like human yeah they're able to, you know, replicate pretty much everything a human has, but everything there's, there's going to be things about them that a human cannot do. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorites is actually his ability to read all the code on the three separate slides as he's running through it mm-hmm. down to be able to pick like, Oh, here's our matches. Something's <laughs> like, this is mysterious. This isn't supposed to be right. Yeah. Um, I really like that. I really mm-hmm. like that. And I like when Joy pops up <laughs> in this <laughs> random moment and she tells him, like, uh, what's the line? You guys are made up of, like, what, four letters? Or yeah, whatever. four different, four characters. And yeah, she's four only made characters, up of two. And I'm made up of two ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because at the same time, like, it's just smart writing. And then at the same time, you're like, another like she's fully (laughs) self-aware this this has to be dangerous like he just got lucky with this model but a fully aware to the point where she's completely okay with oh i'm just code i'm ones Mm -hmm. and zeros you're like that's i don't trust this or at least (laughs) me i don't trust that (laughs) yeah yeah um 
But I, I love the investigation. I'm with you. I think the investigation is one of the best elements, if not the best element of the movie, mm-hmm. with the exception of the cinematography, because it is yeah off the charts. One of the uh, most beautiful movies ever. It's so good. It's so good. I, I had to laugh, because you and I, a long time ago, uh, we talked about these two, you know, Nolan, which we still talk about and and to me all the time. And we talked about, they have kind of similar eyes. Yeah. For, for what they want you to see and how they're Mm going to show it to you. Everything's on just a, a much bigger scale, but it's like deliberate and it makes sense of that scale. Yeah. Yeah. But also able, both able to get very, intimate and personal and to yeah. where you you connect to that thing they have such very similar deeply. styles and it made me laugh because i thought like man i wonder what like a nolan version of this movie would have looked like mm-hmm. probably different definitely it different pro- obviously it would have all been imax and <laughs> yep and i did laugh because i was like i don't know that nolan would have even wanted to do it just because of the fact that he would have had to he would have been forced to use a lot of cgi and he's so adamant about not using (laughs) that much cgi yeah Uh, but then i found out nolan was considered for the director of 2049 like they wanted him to do it it's like that's that's kind of funny because mm-hmm. the movie there's scenes in it that i'm like that feels like a nolan style mm-hmm. you know when when his ship's going across the on his uh flight to san diego that whole yeah. path that he takes feels very nolan-esque to me like, yeah it's very interstellar <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> um i lost my train of thought your turn <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I mentioned before the the Voigtkampf test that uh, Kay takes. Oh yeah, that's the baseline. Probably, yeah, the baseline that he has to check in and and make every time. Um, that's one of my favorite parts, I think, because it takes the Voigtkampf test from the original, but it also understandably and practically upgrades it it's not the interview format that we're used to from the original it's more of a targeted and perfected series of questions that are designed to make induce stress on the subject and then also try to distract him with questions about emotion or connection Mm -hmm. or feeling while also trying to get him to do a simple task, which is just kind of repeat these certain lines uh, whenever they're said. And so the first time, I love how Ryan Gosling plays it, where it, it, he is very kind of like detached and very simple. You feel stressed as the audience listening to it, but he's stressed also, so much during that screen. <laughs> he is so, he's he's been through it a million times, and so he's totally fine. But then the second time he has that test, it you you know i mean you know you've been on the journey with him you've seen him with joy you've seen him hope for things and so you just know that it's not gonna go well 
And so when he's in that test and you can tell he's starting to get rattled, you're so stressed the whole time. <laughs> well, and then you get you hear the guy, the mysterious voice being like, you are way off baseline. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh. yeah. 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 It it's a good example of uh how much of a benefit it is to have your boss like you because if he was anybody else he would have gone straight to the trash compactor but she gives oh, him 100 like, he would have been retired him, on entry she gives him 48 hours after that to like do whatever and try and figure shit out which is generous i think well and generous indeed but when she is retired, or not retired, when she is <laughs> murdered, murdered. Uh, his failed baseline is still on record. So you would imagine whoever takes her place yeah. is going to immediately be like, oh, we have a Blade Runner who failed baseline. We need to take him out. Loose oh, hands, he's yeah. been on the run for 48 plus hours. Mm -hmm. We really got to take him out. Mm -hmm. Like, you would almost feel his his chance of actual freedom or, or life yeah is completely gone yeah the moment his yeah. boss is murdered kind of have hope that if he can like get it all figured out and taken care of in the 48 hours he'll mm -hmm. be okay she'll like do something to fudge the system yeah but with her out of the picture he's fucked <laughs> yeah yeah, I also get the idea. It's not the kind of thing that you can like compose yourself and come back to work and be fine for the next 20 years. I feel like it's the kind of thing where once you learn feelings and emotions and empathy and you develop that, there's no going back. It's like the genie's <laughs> out of the bottle and you're now a full-fledged person that that's the end of a replicant i think in yeah. most cases in all cases like, guess you're gonna move out to vegas dude because that's the last place apparently you're able to go <laughs> yeah i mean that's the whole point that's the whole reason in the first movie that they had four-year lifespans because it was like at around that time they start figuring shit out and, <laughs> right <laughs> and uh, then things go sideways so we'll just bake in a four-year lifespan and it won't get too bad now they can live a full life, maybe even longer. I think, uh, I don't remember if it's in this or the, the extended thing, but Wallace definitely says they can live for as long as somebody is willing to pay for them, basically. Yeah. Um, Wallace. Dude, yeah, Leto isn't in the him. movie for very long. I mean, he's only got two, three scenes. Three, I think. Yeah, I'd say three or four. Three? I know they're in his like palace yeah. a couple times, but I thought you only actually saw him maybe twice. Regardless, two or four times, very yeah. little screen time. But he yeah, it's is like a fifteen minutes in a two hour and forty something minute movie. Yeah. But he is effective yeah. in this movie. And I gotta give Leto credit for this movie. And it might be because he seems to have been on a Jesus complex for the better part of like 15 years now <laughs> um, with the beard and the long hair and the, yeah, kind of the flowing robes. Um, but I really like him as Wallace and I really feel like it's such an underrated performance from him mm -hmm. because he is, 
he to me like he is the god complex of this alternate universe. Oh, 100%. Uh, especially with him calling his replicants angels like Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. heavy <laughs> themes and heavy allegories between him trying to he definitely feels like there's a god complex with him trying to create life in these replicants. Yeah. Definitely calls them angels. He references the Bible a lot. Um <laughs> My favorite one is probably when he's talking about the actual Rachel, the replicant, mm -hmm. but he references Rachel from the Bible, uh, Abraham's wife, who was barren and couldn't have children until a miracle happened to her. And there's such a perfect like overlay between Rachel and Blade Runner, who shouldn't be able to have children and did mm -hmm. through a miracle. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful writing. I think that Jared Leto's character Wallace has the some of the best writing and the best dialogue in the fifteen minutes he's on screen. <laughs> right? <it is. laughs> oh, his his whole scene with Deckard is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Not just mm -hmm. because the CGI in that scene, people need to take note. Studios need <laughs> to take note that patience is a virtue. Yeah. Uh, did you hear? Did you learn about when they recreated young Rachel? No, okay. I don't know anything about it. So when they were like getting ready to start production on the film, the visual effects team that that was hired to do all the CGI in 2049 were tasked with recreating young Rachel from the original Blade Runner. Yeah. But no one wanted to face the kind of backlash that previous movies were hearing, especially Rogue One, mm -hmm. where they did the CGI uh, Princess Leia and the general. Yeah. And then just didn't want to fall back or fall be a part of that line of CGI actor or characters that just look so bad. Yeah, the whole de-aging thing. Yeah, and uh, so he gave the, the visual effects team a year <laughs> to work on and perfect recreating young Rachel because he didn't want them working under any kind of added pressure or constraint yeah. and then have to turn in a rushed product where it's going to look terrible. Yeah. And when Rachel walks <laughs> on the screen... It is like, now that is well done. <laughs> yeah. It's like, definitely better. It has better, nothing but... to do with, I mean, Sean Young isn't dead. She's just. Right. But it, it, it's okay that you can tell that she's still CGI because CGI just is always going to pop up, yeah. especially with every TV or movie screen. CGI is just going to be so obvious. You can't. Hide and your it. audience are people who are thinking about what they're seeing and they're they're people who have seen the original Blade Runner and they've seen Sean Young as this character and they know that she's yeah. not still 25 or whatever she was and so right. in your mind you know this isn't real which is the whole point of Blade Runner which is great but <laughs> I also I love that scene still because you 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 are supposed to feel what Deckard is feeling which is this isn't right. This isn't real. This isn't 
you're trying to yeah, like, seduce me with Rachel and say, hey, I can have it all again, but I don't want that. I've already had a whole life with her. I've had a kid with her. And and <laughs> so this is unnatural to feel this. And, and you still got the details wrong, which yeah. I love that. I love that, Decker. I mean, because you do. You see her walk up and you and the audience are feeling and thinking like, this is intense like yeah this would make sense to use her as your weapon against deckard yeah and i love i mean harrison ford is just he's the man but his <laughs> yeah. whole delivery in that scene where he's like squared up with young rachel and he flat out is just like she had green eyes and he turns away like uh -huh. you can still see the turmoil like he understands she's she's not rachel the details are wrong Mm -hmm. there's no way but when you're that committed to someone when you're that committed to something and then know yeah. like he i mean he listens to her get executed mm -hmm. you can still see it kind of get to him a little bit and you haven't seen her in 30 years in 30 years yeah i like that you can still see it get to him just enough but not too much where he's actually going to be emotional he's more emotional about just i miss Rachel like he misses yeah. her yeah it's tempting and, uh, and yeah I mean he obviously Deckard's not going to fall for a temptation he made like the ultimate sacrifice ever to not see his kid yeah and, and he had to the thing about his choice to never go after his kid I love that whole conversation between him and uh, Kay where mm -hmm. Kay's like you know didn't you ever want to meet your kid and he's like no and he's immediately as a parent, I was, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, but then why? immediately, like, as you're kind of frustrated to hear that his whole explanation of, I didn't want her to be hunted for her mm -hmm. entire life. I, I, I can't let this happen to my kid. I'm like, man, I kind of feel that because mm -hmm. a part of a parent's job is like, you have to make a, I, well, you hope you don't have to, but sacrifice is part of parenting. Yeah. And, and every parent fears the ultimate sacrifice, but understands that should the ultimate sacrifice have to be made, like it'll, it'll be made. Yeah. <laughs> whatever that sacrifice looks like. Yeah. Um, I will do whatever at my own discomfort or if, if I don't like it, as long as it benefits your child, you know? <laughs> Right. Like if it's going to further my kid's life and for the better, mm -hmm. then, then I'm going to have to be the one to, to bear this weight. Cause the kid doesn't yeah. need to. And I, I think 2049, I remember the first time watching it, that, that theme really hit home. And then rewatching it again was even more like, whoo, this mm -hmm. is a heavy, like this is a big movie on so many levels and all the different themes are so, well fleshed out mm -hmm. and, and I love that so much it's crazy how by the time you meet Deckard in this film <laughs> it's more than halfway through the movie yeah and you're you're like you're gonna be at the ending pretty fucking fast you've got like mm -hmm. a small handful of scenes and then <laughs> And then you're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I really like about Wallace is that in that scene with Deckard and Rachel, mm -hmm. he calls into question 
if their love was real or not. He's yeah. like, were you, did you actually fall in love or were you a replicant who was designed and sent to meet her just like she was a replicant who was designed and was your meeting predetermined because you were supposed to meet and mate and create a child um, and and that is a kind of a challenge to Deckard's condition where he's he obviously feels very sincere and all this stuff but then he's having this whole experience questioned um, well it's, his, his what he thinks what he knows is real what he believes is real is being questioned by this it's to me it's a, a clever way of bringing in the idea of fate yeah and like your destiny but for a replicant it's like yeah and it's more of wallace playing god again of it yeah. was it destiny or did you have free will as a replicant? <laughs> yeah you're just like this guy's evil why would anyone <laughs> grant this dude and then i i you look around at some of the big old conglomerate uh influencers of our real world mm -hmm. and i would totally believe that <laughs> at any point in time in the future mm -hmm. these people will be wearing these crazy robes living in these like <laughs> otherworldly mansions yeah and completely living in this mentality of i am god mm -hmm. uh and I'm like, these people have to be stopped. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's happening now. People are just the worst, but and they become worse with the more power you give them, which is the problem. But yeah, no, I completely agree. I also think one of the reasons Decker's repulsed from the Rachel in that scene is because as soon as you replicate her, she's no longer unique and she's just a product that you can create and it totally devalues her whole life oh, I think that's yeah. the whole thing with people is that people are always unique and until you clone them or whatever much like joy isn't unique i think that's kind of a crossover between deckard and Kay's experiences mm -hmm. that they love this synthetic person personality um but the, the, the more they're presented with oh we can just make more of them and we do make more of them and everybody gets their own experiences with the same person with the same personality that devalues what you have with yeah. them because it's not unique and it's not um not real in the end yeah uh yeah, Wallace, I love his conversation. The first time you meet Wallace, uh, when he's uh, birthing one of mm -hmm. his angels, which is so weird to watch how she's <laughs> like on that platform and she's like staying and scared and gooey yeah. and naked and all this. His whole demeanor during that whole scene is like, this is a predator. This mm. is an instant, like you, there's not even a slight question. There's no doubt. Yeah. Like he's kind of a villain, if not the villain, uh -huh. but he never 
he never like really acts out violently. He never <laughs> does any of that. I mean, he's got his lackey love, right. which is hilarious. That that's her name. Yeah. Um, yeah. She names love and she goes on a killing spree throughout the movie. Uh, yeah, it's ironic <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I love like the detail of Wallace's character and how Leto plays him as well. But the fact that he's blind as the villain in a movie where the original placed so much of an emphasis on eyes, eyes and that, and especially in just culture and as people, we, we view eyes as the window to the soul. Mm -hmm. And so for this guy to be blind and have these blank eyes, he is the villain and he has no soul. It's just so <laughs> yeah. well, you have Kay who is, has the eye at the beginning of the movie and is searching, hoping that he has a soul. This movie's so goddamn deep, deep and beautiful. I love it so much. <laughs> this movie's so goddamn good. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And yet it's considered a flop at the box office. And I'm like, yeah, it's wild to me. I feel like the way that Blade Runner got more popular over time, this would have, although its production cost was way higher than the original. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. The amount that it lost is pretty similar to the amount that the original lost. If you adjust for inflation. <laughs> well, it, if flopping um, kind of made me question a few things and I, and I know like, you and I talked last episode of the first time we watched that original Blade Runner. Neither of us were really like mm -hmm. wowed by it. I mean, I was told by my dad, like this one's probably the worst of the Harrison Ford. Like it's not great mm -hmm. and not really enjoying that first theatrical. Um, and then with the separate cuts that came out and then over time, it just kind of, you heard about the cult following, you heard about like it's iconic status in history in Hollywood history. Mm-hmm. Um, it got me thinking about when 2049 came out. Uh, I remember a lot of hype to it, and I remember being just blown away by the trailers and just like you understood this is going to be a big film. Yeah, all you need to do is show the visuals and the soundtrack, it's, and you people yeah. buy in. But then I started thinking about okay. So this was one of those movies where it was a sequel 20 plus years after the original. Mm -hmm. So no one's really needed a sequel, but here we are. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking, and this was one of those movies where Harrison Ford, unfortunately was just kind of like, he had this span where it was like, Oh, Harrison Ford is coming back as Indiana Jones. Harrison Ford is coming back as Han Solo. Mm -hmm. And then we had Harrison Ford is coming back as Deckard. And I kind of thought maybe people were just like, is this Over what it. we're reduced to? Yeah. I think that <laughs> it is unfortunately the victim of a lot of people assuming that it's something that it's not yeah. or assuming what it will be when it's actually so much more. It's so much because more. it's it's so much better than it should be. I think is the problem because <laughs> obviously you would expect it to be a certain thing, but it's like I said last time, last episode. It's one of the rare sequels that's better than the original. Oh, a hundred percent. I was like rewatching it again. I was 
five minutes into it, 10 <laughs> minutes into it. The first time he does the baseline test mm -hmm. and just being like, this is already way more tense, way yeah. more engaging on everything. Like nothing against that original. Yeah. But this feels like it literally grabbed you and was like, you're stuck with me. Check out mm -hmm. where we're going to go. And it's beautiful. It's intense. It's unnerving. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, and it does kind of like, I, I love the challenge of the movie, although I kind of resent it, but I have to respect it and enjoy that this movie, which had no business mm -hmm. really being so upfront and questioning you or making you question kind of how do you feel about these themes, these mm -hmm. ideas. Um, I like that that's where the movie went and yeah. kind of forces you to sympathize with stuff that you normally feel like you shouldn't be yeah. sympathizing for. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. When I was thinking about why this movie is better than the original, I think that the original wasn't shallow by any means because it did yeah. have a lot of those deep questions and thoughts and things associated with the topic, but it was pretty narrow in its approach and there wasn't a lot of a lot of different things going on it was really like this story about this guy and this one interesting um thought experiment whereas 2049 is much broader and mm -hmm. deeper in all levels um and i think i think part of the reason that it, it failed at the box office i think is very much the same reason that the original did I think it's the same reason that the best sci-fi movies do is that sci-fi tends, tends to be good sci-fi. The best sci-fi tends to be kind of ahead of its time mm -hmm. and, and not as appreciated when it first comes out, but then over time will grow and people are like, oh, wow, you were right. And all of these things were more important than we gave you credit for and all this <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I think that must have something to do with it. I did have... A hot take thought. I love hot take thoughts. When I was thinking about why this one did not succeed. Because everything about it felt like this is going to be a massive hit. Like, yeah, this is going to be great. I remember you and I were excited about it. People, you would hear people at the theaters talking about it. And you'd see previews for it. And people would be like, oh, hell yeah, 2049. Like, Deckard's back. You got Ryan Gosling. Everyone loves Ryan Gosling. Right. You got Dave Batista is gonna be in this. This is crazy. Robin Wright is in this. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. And uh but then I started thinking, what if Blade Runner, the original, uh -huh. is not as beloved as we've all been led to believe? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ooh. Because I, I know, like, especially high school days and all that, like, Blade Runner was lumped into those movies that everyone mm. would mention. You have to see this. This movie's crazy. This movie's crazy. Yeah. And it, I remember watching it and feeling it was the weakest out of that kind of film. Yeah. And I really can't help but feel like, is Blade Runner actually <laughs> that good of a movie? And we just watched them. We just watched different cuts yeah. of it. 
And I was like, I mean, I'm a fan of it. That's not, I'm a fan of it. So that's not right. changing. Right. But I wouldn't say it's one of the best sci-fi movies of all time, but it's labeled as such an iconic, one of the yeah. best. And I really thought maybe the ultimate reason why it was not a hit mm-hmm. was that the general audience was already like, not a big fan of the first one. So they figured, yeah. why would I go watch mm-hmm. a second one? <laughs> right. Or I never saw the first one because it came out 35 years it ago. It came out 35 years ago. And so I'm not going to see the sequel because I'll be lost if I do. <laughs> right. And you're like, then for people like us, we see 2049 trying to tell people like, you actually don't need that first one. They give you mm-hmm. enough from the first one yeah to get this one you don't need it it's its yeah. own movie does it help right. yeah kind of but you don't actually <laughs> yeah it helps you understand deckard more as his relationship with rachel and mm-hmm. stuff but yeah you don't need it for the mystery or anything that Kay experiences <laughs> yeah which is an interesting thing for a direct sequel to do to be like you don't need that one <laughs> yeah. yeah it's true i do like you talked mentioned before that there was concern about harrison ford's coming back and playing all of his old characters and it'll probably just be like a members berries thing yeah i really like the approach in this movie that all of the blade runner references quote-unquote references um like when gaff shows up or when yeah. when K goes to the piano and finds that um, that stuff in there. It it feels like it doesn't feel like the movie is winking at you or being like, "Hey, we're doing the Blade Runner thing," like so many things do, like Star Wars does and like Marvel does, and all these things do now. It feels like we're making a movie, and it's a movie in a world that another movie was in, and so certainly there's crossover the the whole point of the movie is the investigation and the mystery yeah. and so just by the necessity of the mystery and the investigation k is forced to go and connect the dots with gaff with deckard and all these mm-hmm. people and it's so that for that reason i think it feels way more natural that yeah. that you're like oh you're not like oh gaff shows up that one guy from that movie before um Oh, he said a one word in city speak that didn't make sense. Uh, you don't feel like, hey, he did the thing. You feel like, oh, this is a guy who has some connection to this mystery and we're trying to put all the pieces together kind of thing. It works yeah. for that reason so much better, I think, because it serves the story. It always needs to serve the story. I'm with you. I think all the Easter eggs that are in this movie, all the the nods, the callbacks, whatever, yeah, are done in such a respectful and subtle way that it's not as a wink to you. I mean, yeah, the piano and the key, like it's a direct, like the gaff making the origami sheet, like it's direct, but none of it is there to be. Look how clever we are. Ha ha ha. It's It's not like we need to check these boxes so that fans uh, will feel like they saw a Blade Runner movie because you're on this investigation with Kay. 
you don't know where it's going. I think you you understand at some point Deckard's going to show up. But I remember that first time watching it in the theater and like after 40 minutes into it thinking, oh, Deckard's probably not showing up for a while. Like I don't mm. need Deckard yeah. in this movie, actually. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm so bought into K and what's happening on the screen that if Deckard never showed up, I would not even notice. I would not like I wouldn't have been bothered yeah. at all because I just don't feel like it all has to ride on his shoulders. Right. Uh which I think was so well done and I'm so glad that's the approach they took and that's kind of why I'm, no offense Ridley Scott but glad you did not take the directing because <laughs> I feel he would have ended up maybe not on purpose maybe just his hand being forced, you know, because yeah, he was I'm technically sure fired during post-production of the original. <laughs> so. I'm sure there's immense pressure to, from studios. There was like audiences won't understand it. If you don't do this right. stuff, <laughs> considering the studio made them do a horrible voiceover on that theatrical cut, like <laughs> and a happy ending. Yeah. And a happy ending. I can only imagine what they would have tried to force or at least got to do on this one. Uh, but yeah, I just I like that it doesn't depend on Deckard. It doesn't mm -hmm. all I mean, yes, it all culminates with him and his connection to to Kay and to the girl, but it's you don't take that as like that's what the movie you, you don't feel as a fan, you don't feel like, oh, there's the moment. That's what I've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. He shows up and you're like, oh, sweet. That means there's more to this mystery. There's something way deeper. Yeah. I wonder what that's going to end up being. And of course, you find out. Because at that point, you're totally buying into like, oh, shit. Like, that makes Kay's story so much mm -hmm. crazier. As if he is this miracle birthed replicant. And yeah. what does that actually mean? Does, I mean... If he's born, does he still count as a replicant, or does right. that actually finally push him into mm -hmm. like, oh that's, no, you are human? I feel like that's the whole point of Blade Runner is where's the line? Yeah. Is the line is the line life and intelligence? And if not, why not? If the line is okay, you have intelligence, you have life, you experience life, you feel all, all of these things. Even once you develop emotion, you feel emotion, you feel love, you feel sadness. If that's not enough, then is it being born? Is it being able to create your own life, self-replicating life, being able to 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 reproduce and all of that stuff? Um, where's the line for it to be considered? real i think is right. the whole question and i think this asks that question and pushes that find further than the first one which is a lot of the reason i think it makes it even better oh yeah oh yeah uh plus you know when you finally meet deckard you get one of the coolest fight scenes it's such a unique <laughs> fight scene when they go in mm. the music room and everything's like malfunctioning yeah, I love how quiet it is for all of it because you're like you've it builds the tension because you 
feel like there should be noise. There yeah. should be music. There should be all these things happening, but it's malfunctioning and there isn't. And it's so quiet. Um, just the visuals add so much tension in addition to him literally trying to avoid being shot by Deckard. <laughs> right. Did you know that scene originally did have the Elva song playing in its entirety with all the oh, light really? show and everything with the fight in between it? Um, they're going to have Elva show up as they're beating each other up. Mm -hmm. But they almost completely scrapped the entire scene. Okay. Because they felt like it just looked like a gimmick. It didn't yeah. fit the film. It it just didn't fit anything that they had previously shown. Mm -hmm. And so the editor, I forget their name. Uh, I guess they were like, we're going to let me, let me tweak around with this thing. Yeah. Rework, and came yeah. back with the, we cut out all the music. Now it's just like malfunctions in between, but we killed all the other sound except yeah. for the gunshot into the seat. Them like trying to quietly run or while well, Kay trying to like stay low and yeah. not get shot. And then the hits. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then the actual physical fight of the scene. It it, so I, I'm so glad they didn't cut that scene. I'm so glad that editor came back with that mm -hmm. idea. Cause it's, it's such an effective yeah. scene. Yeah. Completely <laughs> builds on, Oh, we're in Vegas. It used to be so magical. It was future Vegas where you have dancing holographic celebrities <laughs> and stuff, but it's decrepit. It's just like abandoned. It's all of these things and it's just fallen into ruin. Like you saw outside, it fits the feeling of the world. Absolutely. It does. And, and it I does have like kind of the, the, like the little bit of humor post fight where, you know, Deckard's <laughs> like, I like this song. Do you just want to get a drink? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I hope you like whiskey. I got millions of bottles of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just a very Deckard thing. Yeah. I love the, the, when Deckard's running for the spinner and he like tries to lock K out of the room and then K just runs through the wall. <laughs> all of the action in this movie is short, but also way bigger than the first movie yeah well it's way more exciting it is exciting it's it's effective and i do like they don't try to prolong anything too much i think the only one that's actually like kind of dragged out but not in a bad way is k's fight with love yeah you know because it goes from outside mm -hmm. to inside um well technically outside and and in the air, and then yeah. in the water outside, and then inside, <laughs> and then the inside the vehicle, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't that, try to I be mean, like an action movie. It's still very much a Blade Runner movie, very just with much. some better action sequences. I think twenty forty nine does a great job of kind of showing the consequences because you've seen K just get wrecked i mean his face yeah. for the better part of the movie is like <laughs> bruised and broken and <laughs> yeah since the first scene with sapper through the it, it, yeah something's <laughs> fucked up on his face at some given moment mm -hmm. um and, and that is like the scene where he he sees mass manufactured 
Joy leaning down and he's got the yeah. bandage. And I love how he just rips it off and just throws it. <laughs> Cause I, I, to me, I'm like, what a good character moment. I love these kinds of character moments where your, your lead guy or your lead character has just had so much. They finally hit that like, fuck it stage. Yeah. And they're just like, I have to, I have to move forward on a different emotion. I have to have, mm-hmm a deeper motivation uh, than what I've previously been doing. And I, I like that moment with Kay because mm-hmm. to me, it's him like willingly giving up mm-hmm. that. Right. Like, yeah, I feel like that's a- that scene with her is where he really evolves just not in the sense of like, a replicant needing to grow and earn empathy and all yeah. that other stuff. But just like as a person, as a character, <laughs> sometimes you need to let go of shit that you've been holding on to and yeah. wishing would be true um, and just accept reality and move on from it. And I feel like that's him in that moment where he's just like, you know what? I'm going to let go of that and move on with my life. Well, and I mean, he understands what he's got to do. He's got to get Deckard. He's got to, he knows exactly the path he has to get Deckard. Make sure he, yeah, Deckard ends up on. Right. And uh, it's kind of a rough path and it's a quick path, but it's a rough (laughs) one. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But I love that whole, that whole ending sequence with him just like crashing the, the other spinners in the air and love being like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Crashing into the water. I love, absolutely love their fight. Yeah. Outside of the ship, mm-hmm. outside of the spinner. It's so well choreographed and well shot. Yeah. And it has those moments <clears throat> with like K getting his ass kicked where you really finally understand like not only d- is K giving up on everything that's kind of been keeping him mm. conditioned or keeping him at bay or baseline he's finally right. given up on that but you're you're you kind of finally understand he's made that decision like he's going to make a sacrifice for the actual greater good for something meaningful for a soul. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I, every time I watch it, I mean the scene where she whips out the knife and she stabs him in the side. I'm like, Ooh, it's super gladiator esque, but like, (laughs) yeah, brutal. (laughs) It was a second (laughs) knife. (laughs) Yeah. And, And the way that she, I love her line to him where she's like, I am the best. Like, She's mm-hmm. been taking this whole thing as she's competing against Kay, who, yeah, kind of to me, it kind of alludes like, has Kay kind of been secretly been built up as, or maybe not secretly, but mm-hmm. maybe Wallace, they never share a scene and Wallace never really mentions him, mm-hmm. but maybe, maybe there's something there. Well, I. I have a theory about this and I'm glad you brought it up because the whole time you're watching the movie, you feel like you want K to be special, that he is 
he's the miracle baby of Rachel or something like that. You feel like he has to be special. And in the original Blade Runner, Rachel's described as being special. She's handcrafted by Tyrell. She's extremely unique in whatever way. You don't really know, um, but you learn different things about her over time. She's special for some reason. So to have Love, who's another replicant, have this motivation for whatever reason to want to be the best, want to be special, want to be unique. And it comes up earlier in the movie as well when uh, Kay first meets Love. He's like, she introduces herself to him in the archives as Love. And he's like, oh, Wallace named you. You must be special. Because K is right. a number. He's a serial number. He's, uh, I wrote it down, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> K something something. K D 6 3.7. Um, so for her to be named, she kind of already, I guess, feels a little bit special. I wonder if every replicant has that feeling or drive that they want to be that. And the more I think about that thought, the more I realize we as humans kind of wish. Well, I was going to say like we're all special in our own way. I would assume that since the like overarching question mm -hmm. or theme of the film is being more human than humans, yeah. and these replicants trying to like kind of, well, not trying, but they uh, challenged that line of what right. justifies being human. Uh, yes. The fact that all of us, our species is obsessed with, I'm special. I deserve this. I'm entitled to this, yada, yada. It makes sense mm -hmm. that the replicants would feel the same way. And the ones that don't feel special, like Deckard yeah. and Kay, yeah. they seem to be the ones that, actually kind of shake the system up where they're which is kind of like i guess kind of wrong or we would take that as like <laughs> you're supposed to purposely shake up the yeah. system like you should be telling yourself that you are are meant for something and not saying you're not supposed to do that yeah but they're the ones that aren't are also the more depressed ones the ones that are at home with a <laughs> with a cyborg girlfriend because you're an incel or the ones that are heavily drinking <laughs> right but it's interesting that the blade depressed. runner movies the characters that seem to really shatter the the norm yeah put a wrench in the norm are the the two guys that are like this is my life like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true, and I think that's why they make good heroes because you are kind of you want them to find something more uh, yeah. reason. You want to, them to you want them to find meaning in their lives so that yeah. they can have for a future. Um, yeah. and, and both characters do. Yeah, one's just significantly shorter than the other. Um, <laughs> So you, you brought it up earlier when Kay drowns love. Yeah. It's a, I mean, the way that he like, he kind of holds himself, you know, he braces his hand on the, the roof and mm -hmm. holds her under and like, kind of like leverages his body weight so that 
she can't really fight back. Mm-hmm. His yell while he's killing love, it reminds me a lot of like Superman killing Zod in yeah. Man of Steel. Not as emotional to me, but it reminds right. me of that kind of principle of like he's he's been killing his own kind or retiring his own kind for Ever. his whole existence. Yeah. But now that he's kind of made the decision to find purpose in mm-hmm. life or find purpose in a future, something more, mm-hmm. I think that's so effective that he's like screaming because he's there's an understanding this is like a first murder. Yeah. That's how I took it. Of like, yeah, it's it's not his job. He kind of mentally and emotionally wants to leave that life behind. Yeah. But he also, it's who he is, and he has to kind of continue that. <laughs> and he understands that his purpose is to make sure Deckard can find some hope and, and some yeah. extra longevity in his existence um, through meeting his kid for the first time, <laughs> which I think is so, it's, it's such a, I love how the movie wraps up. And mm-hmm. I saw some people saying that it's like open-ended, uh, I disagree. Yeah, I, I think really it's disagree. pretty clear that that's definitely the girl. That's definitely definitely the girl. girl. And I, I love that whole when Kay, you know, frees Deckard from the water and stuff because he's like almost drowning in the water himself, mm-hmm. and they get to the to his daughter's like holding cell her home. I hate calling it a home. Cause it's so like, yeah, her, her residence, her cell, her bubble as her bubble, as beautiful as she makes it look with like the forest for the first time when you meet her. And then her mm-hmm. birthday cake that she does when she tells Kay, like, no, this memory happened. Yeah. Um, it might be the most depressing set piece <laughs> in the whole film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's just <laughs> prisoner forced to stay there and design stuff it's just so depressing mm-hmm. but i love the snow and i love k i mean obviously he's like dying mm-hmm. but i love how slow he is i love that he takes that time on the steps just to like watch the snowflakes uh i don't know why i can't explain it, but i'm like this feels so deep and i can't I just can't quite like. I think it's deep because it's deep because it's kind of a mirror image to the end of Blade Runner, where instead of the falling rain, it's the falling snow, and he's at the end of his life, and and you know all of that. It's just like Tears in the Rain. It's K in the snow, you know. It's it's so unique. Yeah, you know what I mean, though, and and I agree with you. I I get the. similarities and the the parallels of the two scenes yeah uh, there's just something really pretty mm-hmm. of how that whole ending is shot and, and i do love that he tells deckard like hey go meet your kid and he's like sitting on the steps and i i love how they just let him fall yeah like there's no let's just drag out him closing his eyes <laughs> it's just he falls back and just that's like that's it yeah. 
I remember when we saw it in the theater and just thinking like, damn, <laughs> that's a, that's heavy. Cause that means yeah. like Deckard's going to go meet his kid for the first time. And my brain immediately thought like, they're going to come out mm-hmm. and see K just lying there. Deckard knowing what needs to happen is going to probably not really grieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least right there. But I would imagine at some point, after the events of 2049, I would imagine Deckard would have to have a moment of like a full on grieving moment. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And at a he minimum, had to just watch, appreciation. Yeah. He had to watch Roy accept yeah. his fate and, and let himself die in the rain and telling Kay or telling mm-hmm. Deckard, you know the tear were memories are like tears in the rain. And then he lost Rachel during yeah. childbirth during a miracle. There was death. He's been alone forever. He has no kid. And yeah. then he just watches. He met this dude in less than 24 hours. This guy decided I'm going to make sure not only am I saving your life, but mm-hmm. to give your life actual purpose all of a sudden for the first time in yeah. 30 years. I would imagine Deckard would have to have a moment of just like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. It's heavy. <laughs> like these people, Rachel's the only one that he's had like a, an elongated, you know, interaction or relationship with, but Roy Batty and, and Kay, very short, very short interactions. And both yeah. men had to die kind of in front of him. He's had to see their, their corpses at the same time, you know. Yeah. That would have to play something on on Deckard's mind. Mm. Oh, dude, 2049 is so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Movie. It really is. Uh, it's one, so good. A couple of things we didn't touch on. Um, we talked a little bit about love and how mm-hmm. great she is at the ending, but I think that her she's really the villain of the movie even though wallace is set up as the villain of the movie he only has the couple of scenes and and he doesn't he doesn't really do anything bad other than run this corporation and he also continues to be the CEO of this company through the end of the movie like no justice is brought to him or anything like that wallace to me is like Wallace is the overseeing villain mm-hmm. that will always get away with everything. Yeah. He has the money, he has the power, the leverage, he can do it. Yeah. But he's I agree with you. He's not like the villain of this particular story. Mm-hmm. You just you get to see him a couple times so you understand it's there's so much more than just K and Deckard. Like there are other yeah. Blade Runners out there. There are other Nexus eights and nines running around. There's mm-hmm. still older Nexuses trying to survive in this world. I mean, a bunch of them meet K yeah. and and kind of help him. Um, but yeah, love love is kind of like a, a normal villain on the surface, Mm -hmm. but I think her line and you and I talked about a little bit ago of like, now I'm the best one. Yeah. 
it gives her where you think like, oh, she's just like, she's just a bad guy. She's just a, a femme fatale, if you will. Mm-hmm. But her line with that kind of escalates her to you understanding oh, she's not just doing this because Wallace is trying to tell her. She's actually kind of disobeying Wallace's yeah. orders because she's not <laughs> mindlessly killing these people mm-hmm. like, like she's supposed to to mm-hmm. bring this kid. And she's she has her own agenda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which goes against what Wallace is expecting of his angels right so i think that's kind of a fun (laughs) yeah her i guess semi-rebellion is an interesting wrinkle for sure um yeah and then she ties into the probably the biggest thing we haven't talked about which is robin wright's character lieutenant joshi um her scene well there's a lot to talk about with robin wright but the scene that love comes in and talks to her and grabs her hand and breaks the glass inside of it is one of the most like, Oh, I don't like, I don't like this. I don't like you. I don't (laughs) like what's happening here. Kind of scenes where she's very, I mean, she's very formidable. The first scene where she's, Mm -hmm. she's all dressed up. She's very kind of Rachel. She's like in her skirt. She's very like, you know, feels like a proper assistant uh, replicant kind of character but then the door freezes to that thing and she like rips it open oh, she's like, just like oh, yeah like, oh there's more to you you are a little bit <laughs> right. more formidable than i would give you credit for uh, but i really like uh lieutenant joshi and how robin wright plays her where she's a human that runs the police force there's a lot in this movie that's so I focus on the the sci-fi replicant AI human question more because I think it's more interesting. There's a lot in this movie as well, which is also why I say it's more deep and broad than the original. There's also a lot in this movie about the very obvious allegory of replicants and slavery. And mm-hmm. if you don't, if you don't see replicants as a human, you should be aware that throughout history, people have seen other people and other races as not human or subhuman, and that always leads to a bad time. Um, and so that that's a very interesting thing where these these, and I think that's kind of Wallace's whole goal is that throughout history, the best and most most explosive and most vast expanses of human conquest and growth have come on the backs of slaves and disposable Mm -hmm. people. And we've kind of lost our taste for it over time because we've been a civilized society until they come up with an engineered, uh, engineered slave that you cannot feel bad about abusing because they're not really human beings. And so then they try to, you know, colonize the stars and all this stuff with them. It's an interesting thing for sure that if you create these things as your slaves, very clearly intending that, if they become people, is that then wrong again kind of thing? It's it's The two questions are very closely connected of, there are these creatures, these people. I would pers- say it, it is. Go ahead. I think the fact that the intention... Going into it with the intention of 
we can manufacture this entity or whatever yeah to do our bidding it won't be allowed to rebel it can't and if it does go against the rules then we can like we'll just kill it and punish it i think the mm. intent is what makes that kind of thought process wrong yeah when you aim for something which in that you in the blade runner universe that was the intention from the start was let's create synthetic human like yeah. entities and we can have our way with them however we feel i think that intention alone is is bad mm -hmm. um and it would make sense why when you create something that is meant to become self-aware yeah to be able to start evolving <laughs> and then you cut it off you know just mm -hmm. as it's growing and you kick its legs out from under it and you yeah. sentence it to die um, because you've outgrown its use. Like there's a yeah. lot of evil intention <laughs> in that universe of 2049. Yeah. Um, the entire, you can't have something be fully intelligent without it necessarily becoming self-aware. Like it needs to, right. it needs to process thoughts and logic and feelings and all of those things and that will always lead them back to the truth and the truth is that they are self-aware and they are all of these things and everybody else in the world is all the things they are like it always ends up that way and i think that's why every sci-fi story always ends up the way that it does it's probably why so many sci-fi authors filmmakers whoever yeah have always since like the dawn of science fiction writing yeah have always all shared the unanimous rule of <laughs> man was not meant to play god and if just because you can does not mean you should there yeah are things you need to just leave alone right <laughs> right because every consequences <laughs> yeah every time we try to do something there are side effects that we didn't really intend, but they're always there. But they're always there. Constantly there. It's There's crazy. a trade-off. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> you could simplify it down to social media. When MySpace was like a thing, <laughs> the intention was be connected to your friends and your family. Like you can share yeah. your life with your friends and family that are long distance from you. Facebook's intent originally was let's rate girls in college campuses to see who's hot and who's not. And then it developed into something more. Yeah. Who had the better intent? Uh, and what says more about human nature mm -hmm. that MySpace went, you know, down and Facebook mm -hmm. came up, which, which what? And, and now Facebook is known for being <laughs> just as toxic as fucking Twitter. Was Twitter yeah. ever not toxic? But <laughs> I think it, human beings are toxic, and the more that you True. elevate them Twitter, and connect like, them, it makes it worse. Twitter gave not just a platform, but it like encouraged mm -hmm. this platform. And I only bring all this up because the stuff when thought, most of it, most of it yeah. when it was in its pre 
phase or whatever the yeah, fuck conceptual uh, nature conception most of it had the intention of how cool would it be if we were able to connect right more right and then the consequences to that have now become you jump 25 years and social mm-hmm. media has become not about connection mm-hmm. but about berating preaching like yeah it's 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 like how cool would it be if we were able to split the atom and create this explosion but then that explosion (laughs) might might cause a bunch of peace but it also might destroy the world but it could destroy the world And, and then the better part of it was uh or is like yeah, we had peace until someone creates a bigger bomb. You can take that mm-hmm. the literal way or you can take it as a figurative way, metaphorical mm-hmm. way. And it's true. Like, yeah. what is wrong with us as a species? I am I'm all for trying to discover more about our existence. There's plenty of questions that will probably never be answered. Mm-hmm. But I think so. I think us, you know, we as a species have just completely lost touch with like, just, just let, like, just leave it. <laughs> yeah. think, there's, there is an actual natural way of doing, like, letting things go. We should probably try to just let the natural way go. Yeah. But we get so caught up in, in so much and so quickly. Yeah, it does seem like the more you you fight and try to rebel against the natural order of things, whether it's creating synthetic drugs or food or people, that you it seems nice because you can make make more food and feed more people, but actually that food is terrible and will give you cancer and all of this (laughs) stuff. So Maybe detrimental you to your brain <laughs> just do the normal natural you know <laughs> things that we have available it's, to us i'm not gonna lie when we were like getting ready to to do these two blade runner episodes i had no i don't think either of us had the intention of like <laughs> having more of a, a real world discussion and having those discussions be inspired by these two movies, but I think it's yeah. important. I think it's good. I hope people listen, and I, I I hope somewhere out there people are in agreement with us, being like, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. maybe we should try to find beauty and and simpler things. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be so caught up in mm-hmm. you know the next great technology. I think it's fucking ridiculous. And yeah. not to toot my own horn, I know you do the same, my mom and dad do the same thing, but like, I am not one of those people when a, the new iPhone or the new Android is released every, what, two weeks? Something <laughs> right. stupid like that. I don't care. But yeah. I know so many people that get so caught up in, well, I need that one. I have mm-hmm. to trade mine in. And every time I'm like, is yours broken? Is it right. like doesn't that work? And it's always no. I just I just need the new model. Like, yeah, 
we've lost complete touch with practicality. What the fuck You're is wrong with you? I've had the same phone of marketing. For, yeah, I'm like, I've had my phone for almost, I think, ten years, <laughs> if not long, like right yeah. around there. <laughs> and it's if still it broke. ain't broke, don't fix it's it. Broke. And it's practical. Like, yeah, I just. Dude, I I had no intention, no even thought of like these kinds of discussions. Obviously, prepping for twenty forty nine coming on the heels of mm-hmm. Blade Runner, I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm being challenged again. I'm getting triggered again by all this stuff. I was like, I'm probably gonna end up doing this. I and think I did. I'm sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. I think that's the best <laughs> art, though. I think that the best art mirrors or makes you think about the world around you in a different way. And Mm -hmm. these movies definitely do that. I also think that they tap into an element of humanity and human nature that makes them timeless. Even though, even though we're not in 2049 yet, even though we're past 2019, it doesn't really matter because these movies are really about people and what it means to be human and as long as we're people and as long as there's people around us, they'll be relevant and and yeah. true as far as what that means. And so I think that's that's why they're good movies and that's why they're good art, I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and you know, let's face it, none of us want the memory of us <laughs> being, you know, completely forgotten or washed away. Um like and I think, rain. yeah, you know, like with Roy, we don't want that to be our legacy. We don't want to be forgotten. We yeah. don't want our our experiences and our memories to be lost forever. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we want to be able to either find purpose by giving purpose or just helping someone find fulfillment in their own life. Yeah, And I think that's so cool how that's a cool parallel for me between Roy and Kay, both yeah. being replicants, both having kind of this Man, drive to find something more in life. But I never thought about it until you were just saying that. But that's, I think, another reason why this movie is so deep and intentionally talking about children and reproduction because until you can have children and until you can, I mean, that is the best and ultimate way of not being lost in time. And so if replicants cannot have children, that keeps them separate. Looking like Mm how um, Joshi says that the world's on a wall and we're different humans and and replicants are different and we need to be otherwise there's going to be problems the more that they become the same the more people are not sure i mean the less it matters ultimately but if people would need want it to matter in their mind that replicants and humans are different but i think that's the whole thing that in order mm-hmm. to not have your life be lost the moment that it ends and have all of your memories lost like tears in the rain you need to have children and teach them and form them and and help them grow into good people 
so that they can carry on your your legacy yeah. and your ideas and your your love and all of those good things that you have for generations and generations and generations that is the best way to do that and that's oh yeah that's something that replicants don't have they stop after their life <laughs> right that keep keeps them separate so that's that's a very interesting and very additional meaning i think that was probably there i just picked it up as you're saying that hey all for it man all for it <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good movie folks like obviously we didn't break down scene by scene and there's mm -hmm. so much in this movie there i think we touched on out of what two hours and 40 something minutes of film time i think you and i probably touched on about two hours of it maybe a little yeah. less yeah um, most i would say but it's such a, a great film and and i it's one i always root for more people to sit and watch yeah. uh, is it slow yeah but it's not it's not the kind of slow you think i know mm -hmm. uh your director dude i'm not even trying his name now <laughs> <Denis Villeneuve laughs> maybe self -caught. sure um he he joked and said that he made the most expensive art house film like ever. Yeah. And, and like if this is the kind of art house film that he or like if this was mm -hmm. what art house films actually were like, mm -hmm. I would be way <laughs> more them. on board with them. <laughs> yeah. I think that art house films focus so much on beautiful and interesting visuals but you don't ever really buy into the story or characters or care about it and so they feel long and just like a series of images that you don't really care about this movie is a lot of beautiful images that you definitely are enjoying watching but mm -hmm. in between each one is deep and meaningful characters and story that you totally buy into so it's oh, artist yeah. art house in that way that it's one of the most beautiful movies i've ever seen but it's it's also a massive sci-fi blockbuster that I'm amazed that isn't super popular that nobody's ever seen. It it should be way more popular. I think it obviously it has a big audience. People know 2049. Um, I kind of wish people would have seen it in the theater because watching mm -hmm. this one on the big screen was a lot like watching Dune. Yeah, on the big screen where it was just like you need that yeah. scope at least once right. <laughs> yeah and a lot of his movies have that massive scale arrival even yeah. enemy a lot of his movies have just you need to see them on the big screen for sure yeah i wish i saw um, a rifle on the big screen that would have been great oh, yeah yeah dummy um so as a as a Blade Runner fan, I feel like we're Blade Runner fans. Mm -hmm. um, are you interested in Blade Runner twenty ninety nine that come that takes place fifty years after the fact? It's a Amazon is developing a series called Blade Runner twenty ninety nine that is executive <sighs> produced by Ridley Scott. He may direct it if it moves forward as a project. It'll be live action right but uh no yeah. it's no, no you're not i'm not <laughs> no but that's why is that 
because one, I don't think it was ever meant to be a franchise. Yeah. Two, I think once you go past 2049, which ends on such a fulfilling, like it's a bittersweet, but fulfilling conclusion. I feel it concludes Deckard's story mm-hmm. as it should. Like, was it necessary? No, I'll say that yeah. 2049 was probably not a necessary sequel, but I'm so thankful that we got it because mm-hmm. I like knowing Deckard has an actual conclusion. I like yeah. seeing Kay's story. I like the idea of what Kay's decisions and his journey through this film might inspire Deckard and his daughter post-2049. Yeah, yeah um, there's meaning in that. I think there's great meaning in that. I feel anything past this is going to be way more unnecessary forced i don't think it's gonna have the same kind of challenges i i think it's just gonna get lost yeah and i don't think it'll have any impact to it and i could be wrong and i would gladly be wrong it'd be cool if it ended up being something incredible i just don't think it will be because i i think at this point it would feel like a money grab and not even a Great money grab because the first two <laughs> the first installments two didn't generate. Like, yeah, I find yeah, it's it a weird I franchise think it's that, interesting that, that people recognize the name, but not in a way that they're gonna show up to watch but it. it. It's they're flops, and I think they are so desperately trying to cling on to just the cult status of the original Blade Runner. Yeah. And I don't think you can do that. I think you have to just, and and what is Ridley Scott doing? He's making a sequel to Gladiator, which is wild. What? And why? I think there's also a TV reboot of Alien at some point. Oh yeah. Apparently Hulu's going to have an Alien series or something like that. Yeah. Or is it but it just—it like yeah. feels like I feel like Ridley Scott needs to just like, dude, go go back to like, give us something different. Don't mm. like, is your career just like, are you just not getting hired to direct <laughs> films right now? So you're just like, well, people loved this first one I did thirty years ago. I guess I should right. do one again. Yeah, don't re, uh, don't go back. Go forward. I'm interested in Napoleon. I think that Napoleon might be good, but right. that's um, the kind of thing he should do is, is new. That's things. what I'm excited for. I'm excited for Ridley Scott doing Napoleon. Hopefully it ends up to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what he should do is just, just focus on something original. Like don't, don't worry about rehashing the stuff you did 30 plus years ago or 20 yeah. plus years. Like, I mean, it's great it to alone, be, man. It's great to be the alien guy and the Blade Runner guy and the Gladiator guy for sure, but you don't want that to be all that you are. And I don't see any yeah, other great like, directors staying stuck in that beginning stuff. I mean, he did he did Black Hawk Down, didn't he? Isn't that yeah, one of his? He yeah, did. Yeah. Black Hawk Down is one of the best war movies. It's one of my favorite war movies. That movie is intense yeah. as hell. Like yeah. 
we know what you're capable of. Right. So just keep building off of that. Like, yeah. You don't see Scorsese yeah. being like, you know what? Let's do Goodfellas too. <laughs> that's exactly uh, what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is to do Gladiator 2. Uh, it feels like Scorsese coming out of nowhere and doing <laughs> Goodfellas 2. That's just a ridiculous <laughs> thing to do. It just it makes no sense to me. I'm like like Gladiator is the fall like you're you know the fall of Rome is right around the mm-hmm. corner when you watch Gladiator. You understand that. Right. What is Gladiator 2 going to show us? Like, oh, here's Maximus's grave. Uh, remember his fellow fighter, his friend that buried the figures in the Colosseum? Oh, we're going to yeah. dig those up. Oh, my God, they're going to dig up the figures. <laughs> it's going to be like the sequel to 300 that nobody saw. That wasn't really oh, I never saw it. legit. <laughs> See, told you nobody saw it. I never saw it. When yeah, I saw they like, were making a sequel to 300. Theater, but also nobody cares. When when I saw that they were making that sequel to 300, I was like, did they not watch 300? <laughs> right. To, it's it's a, like, kind of a fully explained thing that you don't need any more of. <laughs> right. And it, it kind of has like a, it kind of ends with a definitive, like, mm-hmm. that's, that's what happened. Right. I mean, that's the mythological version of what happened, but like, the story Guys. that's how it ends yeah <laughs> yeah like um okay cool <laughs> i never bothered with it i thought it was just yeah. so like okay i hate those moments where hollywood makes it so blatantly obvious that they're like we need something so we just latched onto this popular thing from a right. while back people love that so <laughs> we fucked it up with this right <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like a tiny step above the straight-to-video sequels that you never hear about. (laughs) Right? Like, Son of Mask. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Or the the American Psycho 2 with Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis. Um, Yeah. But to play Devil's Advocate, I would have said the same thing about should they make another Blade Runner movie? I would have said the same thing after the first one because I wouldn't have imagined that. I mean, I understand if you set a movie 30 years after the original or 2099 would be 50 years after 2049, I would have said, why would you make it? That doesn't make any sense to follow up that story because it's all concluded. But I also wouldn't have imagined the whole concept of the blackout and everybody True. losing their data and the replicants trying to find their freedom and and the prohibition of replicants and then this other con- like corporation acquiring Tyrell and trying to bring them back and like all of that stuff I wouldn't have even thought of. So if you have something like that, like a good reason to change things up and not just do obvious sequel or a tap into a a known franchise name then i could definitely be on board but it definitely it just depends on the writing and the reason to do it yeah obviously if they actually go through with it if it becomes like goes to fruition obviously i'm gonna watch it 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> unless it just looks absolutely horrendous. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm yeah, we'll probably still watch bother. it. Um, just because there are certain things that I feel like I'm obligated to, mm-hmm. to see through. Like I just, I can't help it. Um, yeah. So if they yeah, actually make a, a third one, I would end up watching it. Um, I would just, I, I, it does feel unnecessary. And like I said, I thought 2049 initially, like when it was announced, felt this is such an unnecessary thing to do. And it yeah. really felt to me, I remember thinking like, it felt like, are they just coming up to Harrison Ford and being like, we're just going to have you bring back every one of your old characters like i'm shocked they never came out and was like the fugitive three richard kimball is back and on the run again like Uh just leave it alone (laughs) (laughs) right yeah witness two (laughs) the amish have a new wheel um yeah back in the back in the buggy (laughs) (laughs) regarding henry Again, uh, <laughs> Air Force Two. This time it's Vice President. <laughs> Air Force Two. How is this guy still president? I, <laughs> um, I I love Harrison Ford. I, I say all those those jokes. Yeah. I don't feel are against him, but but I remember think, thinking that of just like oh for is sure that what they're trying to reduce his career to is just bring back all these characters but mm-hmm. then i was obviously humbled instantly and just um, yeah but i i don't know i think a third one a third one just feels i don't know man i would watch it have they said if it's like intended to be like a mini series or a full length film? I it said series, but I don't know if it's like a multi season series or like a mini series or a limited series. It would be uh, an Amazon series. See, yeah, that makes me even less. <laughs> yeah, interested. Yeah, I mean, we have the that, bitterness of Amazon series recently recently sucking like Rings of Power and I was about to say that that feels very Rings of Power to me, which I never even bothered to continue. I know I had no. said initially like I'm going to like try and watch it some more and I never <laughs> did. I didn't either. I watched I like just, 3 episodes and stopped. I think I only ever watched that first one i don't remember the second one no i watched the second one yeah i think you did i had to have or i or i slept through it i don't remember but (laughs) it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i'm never gonna watch it i feel it's a a shame that's what they did Mm -hmm. um and now they're talking about rebooting harry potter and potentially rebooting lord of the rings i saw a thing about like redoing the trilogy and for both of those franchises, I'm like, the only thing I could see them wanting to do for rebooting Harry Potter would just be cleaning up the CGI, because that's like early 2000s CGI. Sure. But I like Harry Potter. Yeah, you had the I most don't iconic need... and best casting ever. Yeah, and I, I don't think we need a reboot of it. What are you going to do? 
Oh right. my God, they're going to turn it woke. Ugh. Now <laughs> yeah. I'm depressed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Oh, God. Now I'm depressed. <laughs> well, it's a good place to wrap it up. Thank you for listening <laughs> to this episode. <laughs> Why did I finish my beer? <sighs> yeah, I mean, no, I kid. We I just kid. like talked ourselves into a future dystopia where we're upset about all of the content that corporations are making. God. Uh, yeah, I, I probably still would at least watch the first episode just to see yeah, you're what curious. their idea with it. Yeah, and I would feel mm -hmm. obligated to. Mm -hmm. I still think it's unnecessary, but I guess we'll find out if it actually goes through. It's yeah. weird that they're investing that much money into stuff that's like proven to not be right. Big winners with your mass audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, they are desperate for anything with any sort of brand recognition, whether it's good or not. That's why they're making, they make movies about board gangs and board games and dolls and shit. So, but that was oh, a billion dollar list. franchise. So, that Mattel list that you posted earlier today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There was one on it that I was like, it it wasn't, no, two. The He-Man one that you posted. Oh, yeah. Masters um, of the Universe would slap. That could be fun, but there was another one on there that I was like, oh, that, I could probably get behind that one. Let me try and find it. Hold on. I've got it. So I'm talking about on Instagram, we post a bunch of bullshit and there was a thing about all the live action Mattel toys that they're working on live action movies for. So Mattel toys that they're turning into live action movies like Barbie was Uno, Barney, Wishbone, Matchbox cars, Hot Wheels cars, Magic 8-Ball. I don't know what the fuck you would do with Magic 8-Ball. Polly Pocket, Viewmaster, which was that that's like handheld thing? You would do. Yeah, that's the thing that you clicked. Like, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it's just a slide, a circle with slides of pictures. Um, American Girl dolls, which is like a Barbie thing. Major Matt Mason, I don't know what that is. Masters of the Universe, obviously would slap. Thomas the Tank Engine and Rock'em Sock'em Robots, which we already okay. had with Real Steel with that. Uh, that was what I thing. thought. I was like, well, that, and that movie was fun like very flawed kind of stupid sure but that was but it, it was what it, was it was entertaining that was yeah yeah hugh jackman and eventually lily it was fun part of me would want to be down for like a thomas the tank engine just to see those guys <laughs> would be kind of fun yeah but then my brain's like it would not be the nostalgia you would hope for it would suck yeah because they would it's try to make a it all specific style like the very the non, specific style. The non-train characters are like, like all the people in the worlds and stuff are such a specific style. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> the Uno movie, like what is it just going to be family game night that ends in tears and screaming and like flipped over tables and chairs and violence. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's going to be like a cliff, a cliffhanger ending where someone plays a reverse card at the right oh, moment. No. <laughs> uh, Barney, why? 
Yeah. I didn't even know Barney was a Mattel property. Yeah. Some of these are like not really toys. They were shows more so like Barney and Wishbone and but that I is feel the like one. Masters of the Master of the Universe would be a show more than a toy. I am so wishbone? down for a wishbone movie. Okay. All I could it. do. I could I could see that. All for it. But you have to follow the wishbone formula. Kids, Wishbone <laughs> was this little dog who reenacted classic literature. Yeah. And kind of narrated it and dressed up as the main characters. Like he yeah. was Sherlock the, Holmes at one point. He was the hero of all of these stories. The this little, little Jack Russell Terrier dog. Yeah. Cute little pup. I would be all for like it. Live they would have to keep, yeah. They would have to keep that kind of formula where it would have uh -huh. to be literature he has to like put himself into that story interact with the world as if he is in that world like yeah they would have to yeah, essentially I... just study the show and make an hour and a half version of the show right and yeah instead of doing like one story which was what one episode was it could be like a uh ready player one kind of thing where he jumps from story to story to story with yeah, the movie. You could do it as like some kind of anthology stuff or whatever. Yeah. Um, that could be fun. And you would have to, they would have to make sure it stays for the target audience of young kids and families yeah. like that. Absolutely would have to stay a full fledged family film. Yeah. And I feel they yeah. fucked that up so bad. More so than Barbie. <laughs> like, I feel like Barbie, you can kind of get away with more of an older I feel like Barbie doesn't have to be like the little girl. But if whatever, you have a talking Barbie dog works. teaching you classic literature, it has to be for younger. It's got to be super family friendly. Yeah. Magic 8-Ball. What the fuck are they going to... What, is that going to be a <laughs> two-hour movie of someone being like... Am I having mac and cheese tonight? Not likely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a horror movie. Like, um, what's, what was that one horror movie where they played that game and they're like, kind if of it was a horror movie like game. Truth or Dare, I'd be down for Truth that. Truth or Dare. Yeah. I'd be it's down like for you that. It's like you have to follow what the eight ball says. You have to play the game now. Yeah. You have to, like, if they turned that into a full fledged horror. One, they would have to lean into like the tongue in cheek, like yeah. it's ridiculous, it's stupid. You have to lean into that. You can't take mm -hmm. it serious because at no point is any audience member going to take a moment where they're shaking the fucking eight ball <laughs> and it tells them like, "Come back later" or whatever the fuck that Dyson side says. Yeah, it'd be like no they're in some dire situation and they really need to figure out what to do, and they shake and it says. Outlook unclear. Ask again later. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and you know that movie's going to have a moment if it was a horror where they're going to split it in half, spill the fluid to try mm. and like force the dice, but it'd be a terrible Hollywood movie. So it'd be like the dice doesn't let them overturn it or it just keeps yeah, flipping back over the to rules. the same one. Yeah. Yeah. There you go, Mattel. That we just wrote like a your great ball movie. movie. Yeah, I would see that. <laughs> Yeah, Maybe the ending has to be, idea. you just keep playing the eight ball. That's it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, be like, yes, yeah. men meets a horror movie. Yes, man meets a horror movie. Yeah, but Yes Man was like a good movie. I, I well, really this like could yes be Man. good. Let's 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 it could be good. You don't know. It's also not a real oh, movie either. I mean, they're all in development. They probably just pulled a list of all of the properties Mattel owns. They're like, can we oh, come up with an idea for this? And if you can't come up with an 100%. idea in five minutes like we just did, they'll cross it off and not do it. But we literally maybe a couple of them, the like Wishbone. Room. Well, the Dude, I swear to God, they're going to ruin Wishbone and I'm going to be really bitter about it. I used to read the books. I watched the show. <sighs> I didn't know there were Wishbone books. How are they different than yeah. the real book? They throw Wishbone the show. in the red. So it was like the novelization of the show. Okay. I, so. met, I thought it was like you would get the Wishbone version of Pride and Prejudice, and it would be exactly Pride and Prejudice, but then Wishbone would be a character that would show up in it from time to time. No. <laughs> so you actually like no, trick these was... kids into reading the classics, but then also Wishbone is in there sometimes. I mean, that's probably what they should have done. Yeah, that's what I would but do. But no, it was, it was just like, it was the novelization of the show. So okay. you had all the different ones. You, I, I think I remember reading uh, The Time Machine. That one I remember the most. Good one. Um, yeah. I want to say Island, I, I read. Good. Huh? I think the Treasure Island episode was. That was the one I, I was going to say. I'm pretty positive. I, I remember watching Treasure Island, the Wishbone Treasure Island. I don't know if I mm-hmm. read it, but. I remember definitely watching the Time Machine Wishbone episode and reading the book, the the Wishbone version of the episode. Okay. Of course, then reading the actual Time Machine. We have derailed horribly. <laughs> so, what was this episode about? Replicants or something? <laughs> Fucking Mattel making. <laughs> we have one hit. This is so funny to me. This is so like this is Hollywood. Yeah. Well, you we made a billion dollars off of a dumb idea. And so, of course, like, they're going to chase that high again. We got lucky on this movie that was supposed to just be an utter fail, but it got caught mm. up in a whole fun social media event. Yeah. Uh, it, which it was fun. Half, don't, don't get me wrong. Half successful because the people made memes and hyped it because of how dumb it was like you're making a barbie movie and everybody's like oh that's so silly you're making a barbie movie and then they hyped it as a joke partially to say oh we're all gonna go see it it ended up being good good enough and pretty good a lot of people really like it but i think the marketing and the hype is a significant portion was just the marketing was a silly idea well yes Um, it will be funny to watch the Mattel properties crash and burn following Barbie because people will be like, we don't care about these. Give us Barbie too." that <laughs> only half of us will end up going and watching, finding out yeah. how horrible it is because it'll probably end up like Wonder Woman 1984 and mm-hmm. everyone's going to be like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't see lightning striking twice and I don't see... <laughs> the memes being as spectacular for uh, Polly Pocket, the movie. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> Apparently they cast Polly Pocket though. The worst part I saw was that Lena Dunham was going to direct it. And I don't know if it's true, but 
that also sounds like a joke, so it might not be true. But <laughs> if it is true, it's also a joke, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. God. So thank you for listening to us talk about Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. We really bunch, appreciate it. Um, a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> if you are using our show to help fall asleep and you just happen to wake up as we're ranting them out and tell them. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's no different than us <laughs> ranting about anything else though. So it works. And if you're interested in all of these weird things, as soon as they come up, as soon as they're made aware, we are made aware of them. Check us out on Instagram because that's where we post these silly things that we find on the internet. Yeah. Um, and memes about the show or thoughts we have after we stop recording, like, oh my god i can't believe we didn't talk about this thing we'll be posting it on instagram there so check us out i'm pretty positive you and i are both going to have a bunch of those um yeah. please make sure you like subscribe and all that stuff uh it helps uh watch mm -hmm. us on youtube subscribe to that shit too uh get your cool swag it's fun what are we doing next time oh shit that's that. right uh next episode should be pretty fun it was inspired by our room episode or the room episode <laughs> the room. very different episode wow. that was a close <laughs> one that was a very close one um we're doing our top 10 b movies yes so rolling in uh some very fun in the worst best kind of way uh kind of <laughs> movies so i'm stoked for that one yeah yeah some it will be very interesting time ridiculous film <laughs> Yeah, I am excited for it. So yeah, check us so, out next time. And thank you for listening yeah. this time. Thank you. See you guys. Bye.